0: Hi, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me today, hold my hands for this, joining me today is a very special friend, someone that I have known for 20, 20 years, Three. 23 years, 23 years, ladies and gentlemen, me, the real Christian James hand. <laughs> That's what you did there. <laughs> oh, Wow.
1: All right. It's good to have you.
0: Everybody who grew up with me, you no, I have always been my go. Let's go. So yesterday, I was thinking, I was like, "Who do I want on my show? Who do I want on my show?" And Mono Neon wasn't available. I well, I called Mono Neon. He didn't say yeah, anything. Yeah, silence. Uh, he was like, "Call Christian James Han." <laughs>
1: But he didn't say it. He just wrote it on his shoes.
0: Yeah, he actually just pointed at that. He was just like.
1: (laughs) There's nothing better than than brown graffiti.
0: (laughs) I feel like you should make a t-shirt that says that and you should wear it and you should also just put it on a hat, put it on uh, your overalls. On anything. Yeah, everything. It would
1: sell. You just looked so much like your brother. That's the first time I've ever seen you look like your brother.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah. So my brother is about, he's like five years behind me when it comes to hairstyles. Right. So my hair was long first. His was super short. Then as soon as I cut mine, his, well, he started growing his long, so I cut it. Right. As soon it as it got, as soon as it got there, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can't, can't be doing that. We can't be doing that. And now that I've lost some pounds too, I'm like, oh God, he needs That's, to gain weight, but he can't, he can't do he, it. It's impossible. He's one of those blessed guys that just cannot gain weight. He eats, eats. I'm so jealous.
1: Yeah. You know what sucked was when I found out that there's, uh endomorphic and ectomorphic body styles or body types. And as you age, you become one of them. And one of them is that you just put on weight. And the other is that you get skinnier. So if you see old people that are skinny, it's because they might, I don't know which one it is, but yeah. they're ectomorphic, let's say. And then people like me are endomorphic and you just, and they get, and your brother is going to be, a, so he's going to be one of those <laughs> cool, skinny old people. Oh and God, I'm going to be, you can kick me down a hill and I'm not going to get hurt.
0: Yeah, but you're funny, so it's okay. Yeah,
1: you know what? I'm not sure I want to be the compensatory fat guy who's funny.
0: Yeah, but you look the same age, bro, since I met you. 23 years later, you look the same. A little, couple more grays. couple more? A, th- a thousand more. <laughs> <laughs> not that many, in not hair, that many in hair count.
1: No, it's true. Yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, when we first met, I actually uh, I didn't have a beard. I had a soul patch
0: because
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was that period of time. I and I remember that. the uh one of my fa- I actually just had uh I had lunch with um Matt from Vertical Horizon. Oh, good and guy. I, lovely guy. Love chat. that guy. Love that guy. And I told him this story. We played uh Hummer, which was the band that I was in when I met Elmo. Uh, we played at the the Hard Rock Cafe over by the Beverly Center. And uh back <laughs> in the day when there was one over there. And it might still be there. Yeah. And we were setting up and I was I was sound checking, and as I was sound checking, the Vertical Horizon video came up on the TVs, and there were people sitting at the tables who were like pointing at me and like pointing at me. is Vertical Horizon tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a just because you're a bald white guy? <laughs> that's all it was. Bald yeah. white
1: guy with a soul patch. The soul patch is what yeah. sold it,
0: though. I guess, like, well, not you, now that you've gained a few pounds, but you, <laughs> pre, prior to that, had the same size shoulders as him, I would say. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. We did look remarkably similar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was like that period where, you know... And that's the thing, is like, I see I see bald guys... And if they don't have any compensatory facial hair, I'm like, oh, new guy. Because they haven't worked out that they literally (laughs) just look like eyebrows walking around. (laughs) That You need either a soul fetch or a mustache. Just something to not be just eyebrows bouncing around the world. That means
0: that they haven't had a girlfriend since they transitioned into this that can be like, you need, you know, I love you. (laughs) I love you. But I think... In a photo? little hair, <laughs> just something somewhere on so your face besides
1: your eyebrows. And then he walks out with like a Hitler mustache. She's like, everything she's, but yeah, that. That's, she's that's, like,
0: that's... You did the one thing
1: that wouldn't work. Actually, <laughs> can we just drop that? Like maybe three quarters of an inch, and it's perfect. Just,
0: so let's just put that from the top lip to the bottom.
1: I could go with that. There's only one yeah. other guy that got away with the Hitler mustache. Oh, I guess Charlie Chaplin did. But the other dude is the dude from Sparks who's been able to get away with it. Sparks?
0: The- I don't know this. Oh, God. I shouldn't have said that, apparently. Who's Sparks? Yeah, what Sparks is-, is one of the, the... There's actually a great documentary
1: on them uh, currently available. They're a, a band that um, has been around forever. And they're it's sort of this post-new-wave band. And it's two brothers and one of them... You've probably seen them and been like, what is that? And the and I think it's... They're Mile brothers. Anyway... The dude that plays piano and doesn't say anything just has a Hitler mustache and like a hitler haircut. Oh, and and the
0: haircut too? Yeah,
1: he's got away with it for his... And now he has like little spectacles. And when I was a kid, I was always
0: like, what is that band? Like... Don't. Don't do that.
1: He got away with it and they're still going. And they just did a... There's a documentary that was shot by the dude that did... um, Till the end of the... Not until the end of the world. The the Hot Fuzz and that stuff. I think it was that dude. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so crazy. Yeah, with the Hitler mustache. So don't do
0: that. Don't do the Hitler mustache. Don't do that. With, no matter what your top hair looks like. <laughs> don't ever. Don't do that. And especially if you're doing the same on the top hair, let's not. So, so uh, let's talk about when we first met. I was going to say, I think we need to give some some context, context to the listeners that this are just friendship. like, I feel like these guys uh, are doing inside talk. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, let me look into the camera. We got a camera here. If you're listening on AMP, by the way, we love you. We're live on AMP. But we also have a camera here run by Christian Paul Meadows. Hello, Christian. Not Christian James Hand, Christian Paul Meadows. For some reason, if your first name's Christian, you got to include both full. middle and last name you go full. to distinguish yourself. Yeah. Well, Do you, know
1: you know the reason I did it? No. So here's the reason I did it. When I, when I started my radio career, I hate on air names, like these fucking idiots that call themselves like fucking, you know, Bean. <laughs> lightning yeah. storm chaser yeah. like any of those like burning man names storm chaser is a tight radio name
0: <laughs> it was, i'm gonna call myself yeah. that moving this forward. next song is bush <laughs> i'm storm chaser
1: Note to everybody at Amp Christian will now be known as Storm Chaser. It's a quick thing for everybody. Yeah.
0: So I hate it's Air It's actually names. Storm Chaser versus Radio. And now. it's
1: hyphenated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> please don't forget the hyphen. He gets really mad. By the
0: way, full disclosure, I was a full uh big Kevin and Bean fan, so I'm sorry to
1: not to take anything away from Kevin and Bean. Move uh, forward. So the uh the so I hate air names with a passion, right? I think they're they're fucking stupid. Like just you're Dave. Just be Dave. Don't no reason to but back in the day before social media, it kind of was necessary to have one because we had a female prison near our radio station and uh, Mike Savage was getting, when he uses real, niggas was getting fan mail sent to his house. So it's was like, you got to kind of have an air name. So, so so anyway, so I didn't, I wanted to be Mr. Clean because the thing with me and air names <laughs> is that one of the things that happens with air names is like, well, DJ's period is like, you never know what the DJ looks like, right? Like you're, when you hear their voice and then you see them, you're like, oh man, what a fucking let down yeah whereas if i was mr clean immediately you're like oh bald guy there it is so the radio station was like when you're not going to call yourself mr clean because it was a free advertising so stupid
0: right 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 so
1: then i was like all right i'm i'm just gonna what i'll do is i'll push it until i go on the air and i won't have an air name and they'll literally just have to let me on the air with the name mr clean yep so I, I go for my first day, and the uh, APD calls me into an office, his office, and he's like, so do you have your, uh, got your air name together? And I was like, yeah, 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 I, I'm going to go with Mr. Clean. He's like, yeah, you're not. So um, you're either either you come up with something, or I've come up with something I think is amazing, and it'll be perfect for you. And I was like, all right? And he goes, and he always did this thing with his hands, and he goes, Christian Cruz. <laughs> And I was like, I'll have an air name by the time I get back here. So then I had to go with, I, went, I listed like my favorite comedians and it was like Chevy Chase. My parents lived in Chevy Chase at the time. So I was yeah. like, oh, I'll call myself Chase, thinking I would burn it. And then I moved to fucking California and I have to bring this air name with me because I'm inside the same company. So now I'm Chase and I want to murder myself. So when I <laughs> left there and I went and I went to S- satellite when I went to Sirius, I was like, okay, I'm going to, my air name at Sirius is going to be Debbie Hernandez. What? Yeah. So for the the first three months of my radio career at Sirius, I was Debbie Hernandez, which is the greatest air name of all time. So I'd go on the air and be like, what's up? It's Debbie Hernandez. And we're listening to (laughs) Rancid, blah, 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 blah. So then three months in, we get an email from HQ that's like, you have to tell him to stop calling himself Debbie Hernandez on the radio. And I was like, this is dicks. So what I decided to do was punish them by having three names because it takes up an extra millisecond of airtime to say Christian (laughs) James hand. And they couldn't send me an email being like, stop calling yourself your own name. So this three name thing was a fuck you to serious. And now I'm stuck with it because now everybody knows me as Christian James hand. So that's why I have three. I'm not Christian Paul Meadows who needs it because you, if you're that handsome, you can't be two names. It's a three namer face. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole thing is three names. It can't be two.
0: Yes. But I got to say, as much as I love Christian Paul Meadows, I think it's a strong acronym. CPM is CPM is very strong. good. Would CJH go, is not, yeah, strong. not strong. It doesn't roll off the CPM. 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 CJH. Yeah. CPM, yeah. CPM.
1: C-J- C-D-H. Yeah, CPM yeah, is you, you get you start, yeah. Debbie Hernandez would have been so much better. Yeah. yeah just good old DH. The session with yeah. Debbie Hernandez. Debbie <laughs> Hernandez. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, another thing we did yeah. when I was on the sound was like with the around the idea of like you never know what the DJs look like. So, when we were on the sound with uh, uh, a guy who used to be my friend, uh, Andy Chandley, I was like, hey, you know this thing about when you see the DJ and you're like, you're so let down by what they look like? I'm like, we can, like, you, before you'd have to send cassettes, I'm like, it's so much easier now, we could just email them. So, we located all of these police sketch artists around the country and we sent them MP3s of our radio show so they could draw what we look like from our voices it was amazing. <laughs> I was a fat, short guy who was on like his third marriage, pay, just doing the gig to pay alimony on these three oh. previous. And I would look like, so far, like a cigarette and like headphones. And it was just like frumpy. And then Andy was the big, tall guy every single time. It was
0: amazing. I'm trying to close my eyes and picture you without. Looking like, like me. Yeah, without looking at you. It's, yeah, it's, hard. it's really
1: hard. Especially when I have like this overweight lesbian voice thing that, you know, like I don't really, I hate my... Overweight lesbian voice? That's what I sound like. I think I sound like an overweight lesbian. Like when I hear myself, I'm like, that sounds like, you know, like a stage manager of the Lilith Fair. I
0: do think you sound like a smoker. Oh, okay. Which you're not in the of the cigarettes. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm not even a smoker of the weed anymore, unfortunately. Oh, really? Yeah. My stomach is shot to shit from it. Goodbye. Yeah. I got to watch that. not worth it. Cannabinoid hyperensis syndrome. Oh. Yeah. It's awful. That's a thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. Don't vape. I'm telling you right now. Oh,
0: right. We talked about this. Don't vape. Don't Everybody vape. stop vaping. You're going to hurt yourself in the 30, long run.
1: 30% THC and below. Don't do anything above 30%. Oof. It will wreak havoc on you. Oh, God. And now I've been robbed of my favorite thing, which is getting high and then eating a lot. So now I just eat a lot. Oh, shit. Hence, you're skinnier.
0: Hence, I'm skinnier because I stopped smoking. Weed. And I'm fatter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You got fatter from it. I got less. Yeah. I got less fat. Yeah. I didn't. I just stopped because I was just. I, I was never like a heavy, heavy smoker. Anyways, I was always a sm- social or whatever at night. You know, or when I was a drummer,
1: is because I was drumming. Right? Sure. And if did I you was, drum
0: high? Every show. Really? Every I couldn't show. do it. Really? Yeah. No, I couldn't do I, it. Okay, so not when we first met, which by the way, we're like twelve <laughs> minutes, twelve minutes, in and people are just like, "Who the fuck? Like, why are they talking to each other?" But. Uh, so not when we first started. Right when state, I was you're... 15, I started touring with you. But when I was like 18, from the time I was 18 or 19, pretty much through until really? I started Jam Card and I stopped touring, every show I would I would smoke. Man, that's amazing. Yeah. Because I I really that was and that was the only I time. I love the I fact by smoke. the way that you noted
1: that we hadn't told anyone our backstory and then just rode straight through the fact that we hadn't done that oh. and just continued.
0: On should we it. start or should we finish? Should I end this story? Okay, Let's let me end, end this. So people, Here we go. Look, we're talking about a sensitive subject in the state of California which is marijuana and we need to we need to just clarify that I was never I would I would never I don't think anyone would have called me a stoner. I was never a stoner. But I would smoke before I played cuz I loved drumming and smoking specifically mm. specifically. So if I wasn't drumming, I didn't care right. to smoke. And I liked it because it always made me just folk I would just be in it. I would just be Amazing. present and drum and I could do it in front of arenas. And not be nervous at all. Would and you have no,
1: been nervous without it?
0: No, no, I don't get ner- I don't get yeah. nervous in right. front of people whether I'm talking or drumming. I just uh, I'm very for, for whatever reason comfortable in front of audiences. If anything, more comfortable than ever. No, but
1: but um, do you think that you uh, did you enjoy it more because you were high? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be as present. So I would be playing the show, but I'd be thinking like, oh, I got to do laundry as soon as I'm done. Oh, I forgot to call this person back. I just wouldn't be like present compared to that would smoke and drum. I would just be enjoying it. Just enjoying the drumming and the musical little wave that we got going on. Unless I was playing with one of my technical bands, like when I was doing devil's orchestra or any of those things. Let's not talk
1: about it because I missed out on all those years and I'm angry about it. So let's not bring it up.
0: Just the best, just the best parts of my life. Okay. So anyways, long story short, I'm not really smoking anymore because I just, I don't enjoy it anymore. It would just make me think too much, overthink mm. things when I, and I don't, I like just making decisions, moving forward with my gut. I'm a big gut decision guy. Cool, go, let's move, let's move, let's move. And I'm confident in doing that. And I feel like I don't, I can take on a lot of weight or a lot of wh- whether it's stuff with business, stuff with family, personal, whatever it is. And if, I, if I'm sober, which I am 99% of the time, it doesn't phase me at all and I can just keep piling it on. But I feel like when I smoke, it then makes me, I feel the weight. Mm. So that I was like, I'm not going to smoke anymore. Yeah, yeah. Eh, it's
1: not worth it. Yeah. my uh, Mine was like, uh, if you continue to smoke, you're going to uh, shut your kidneys down, shit yourself and you're going to die. So I was like, oh, I guess I can't smoke weed anymore.
0: So out of those three things, what do you think is <clears throat> the worst part? Kidneys shutting down, shitting yourself or dying? Mm. Not smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to rewind here, people. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to rewind here, people. Okay, so Christian James Han, Yes. Dear friend, we go way back. We go back 23 years. 23 years. To when I was 15 years old. A young Elmo. I can't believe you were 15. Like, I always thought you were 17. The I was that 15, 15 is bad shit. dude. I was 15. I was in a band called Limit Point, which yep. was my first gigging band, like real gigging band. And they were in their, uh, like, uh, Shaw was 19, Mikey was 22 when I joined the band. And uh, so I was like little bro by far. Because 15 and 22 is a big difference. it's huge. Huge 15 difference. and 19 is, yeah. is a big difference. And so we got... So then we were... so th- But they were great. I mean, they still are great guys. Lovely guys. Love those guys. Mikey still to this day works on Jam Card. Is, yep. is on our Jam Card team, which is amazing all these years later. Very um, talented. Adorable daughter. So cute. So cute. So cute. Big shouts to Mikey and the fam. The Sabatellas. Sabatellas. So yeah, our first tour... Van tour. Yeah. Bars. Yep. Small
1: clubs and bars. Yep. And community centers. And community
0: centers. Mikey booked the best community center in LA, La Cunada Community Center. Boom. Huge epic shows there. Especially like the, the, when we were young festivals about to happen or whatever. And so much of that lineup played that community center with us. I swear. I was like, Oh, yep. 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 Newfound glory. Atari's. There's like so many on there that did. Anyways, we did, uh tour a bunch of dates. I don't remember let's say ten with yeah. probably like a southwestern tour. Yeah, it was um, like um, Arizona, Vegas San Diego, Vegas. Yeah. Uh with this band called Hummer, which was Christian James Hand's band. Lead Do you remember singer. the other band? There was another band yeah. on the tour. Yeah.
1: We played dates with another band. H is Orange. H? H is orange.
0: They did all the dates with us. I don't
1: think they did all of them. I think they did. Uh, they did. a I think they did the Vegas. They did one of the one or two of the Arizona dates, and maybe the San Diego date. But they were on the road with us. I don't remember that. That's all right. I remember you. I know, and me demanding that we headline because I was like, we don't open for anyone, <laughs> oh, even though you guys the booked the ego, show yourselves.
0: The ego <laughs> this guy had. You don't even. You don't even know. For all. Okay, look. I know there's a lot of Christian James <laughs> Hand fans, and all the it's fans. A- Love you for what you do with the session and your creative mind. You being a music historian, you knowing everything about all these songs and having access to all these songs and you being such a great storyteller, but they don't know lead singer (laughs) Christian James Hand from 20 years ago. He was a dick,
1: right? I was a dick. (laughs) Mikey booked the tour. And then I demanded that we headline because we don't open for anybody.
0: Yeah, and we were nobody. Yeah, and it was like, well, we sold nine tickets and you sold eight. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um,
1: and we did headline every show though.
0: But the but that tour was so huge in my life, man. Because I'll I'll never forget that because first of all, I was the youngest person by far in the tour because the other guys in my band were nineteen and twenty two, and I was fifteen, and you guys were even older.
1: Yeah, we had well. Uh, Mikey, um, I'm sorry. Onion was probably the baby of our band, and then Adam and Greg, who are a couple of years older than you, and then
0: I was 30. No, no, no. Greg, Greg is older than Greg's probably a few years older than Mikey.
1: Oh, okay. So he was like 24, maybe. I, I want to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they they were out of college at yeah. that point, so they were 20 23, yeah. and 24. I was 30 because I would yeah. never planned on being a
0: lead singer in a band. Unbelievable. So here I am, 15 on tour with a 30 year old. Right. But I'm, and I'm the baby, but I'm also trying not to be an idiot kid. Like I wanted to be, cause I'm by far the youngest with the whole entourage. So I was like, I really want to fit in, you know, be cool, whatever, but I'm still a nerdy little drummer kid. And, and you guys all definitely gave me a lot of love. And, and, uh, and I feel like I, a, a big part of who I am today was from the development that happened in those years. And even though you were a dick and had a big ego, yeah. <laughs> Um, there was still so much love and everyone like kind of looked after me. I felt yeah. like it was good influences in overall because it's not like everyone was doing drugs or anything. No. There was no one doing any of that. And I also never really care. I mean, you guys would drink. Anyways, those were the times of my life. And by we're playing bars, I'm like a 15 year old playing at a bar. That
1: was the craziest part. Or
0: whatever it is. And uh, and it was great. And I was just so happy then to just be playing drums. And even if I was getting paid 50 bucks a show, I was like sick. Yeah, you're getting paid to to play drums. Yeah. I was like, I'm living the dream. Yeah. And like, uh, and I was in Limit Point for three years and, and then I joined my next band and whatever about my career. But what's crazy is that like, here we are all these years later and we're both doing different things 23 years later, but in music, I know we're both still in music, but you're not a lead singer and I'm not a drummer. No. Yeah. You're not even a singer. Take out the lead.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do. I've done a couple of solo things on my own, but I, I, the, the only reason that I became a drum, a, a singer was because uh, we auditioned singers, and they all didn't, couldn't do the job because they didn't sound the way I wanted them to sound. So I was like, fuck! It. I was like, I wonder if I could do it. So I went and started singing, and realized pretty quickly that I couldn't. So I went and had very expensive vocal lessons with a, with a, a, an incredible uh, vocal coach um here in uh LA and uh, Ron Anderson. Yeah, he's the man. Did, yeah. f- like, you know, top notch. Everybody. Yeah. Seal Eddie Vedder used to fly into town like once a month just to get a warm up from him. I he, I'd like I'd have it a you know, I'd have a, a a vocal lesson booked and he'd call me and be like, "Oh, we got to cancel because uh oh, Madge is driving me crazy, so I'm going to be on." I was like, "Okay, so it's Madonna or me. I guess it's got to be her." <laughs> uh my favorite thing he used to do. Did you ever you never did a vocal lesson
0: with him? I've never done a vocal lesson. No, dude. Yeah, he used to do. I this, would love to.
1: In order to teach you uh, diaphragm control, he was this very—he was this very big man. And in order to teach you diaphragm control, he'd have you hit the biggest note you could, like, and then he would pick you up off your feet, and then squeeze you into him, and you had to hold your diaphragm out to keep the distance between the two of you. Wow. Yeah. But I learned. I spent a huge amount of money there. But I learned everything, and ultimately, it became very useful because then when I started producing, I could talk to singers about what they weren't or were doing correctly or incorrectly, and yeah. I'd have a you know I'd have the vernacular to be like, "Yeah, Yo, man, you just got to drop your palate down. You just got to fucking." But I had done the. The only reason I became a singer was because we couldn't find a singer that sounded the way I wanted the band to sound, and then all of a sudden, every record label in town took it way more seriously than yeah. we than I thought that we should have, and. We, you know, we. I always say, it, I'm like that band should have ended when Onion left, and we sort of like eked it out for another three years, which was just such a brutal experience of being an unsigned band in L.A. I mean, we. Yeah. were I don't think you guys went through the nightmare of like the record label showcases.
0: I did. Would never heard of it. Did you really? Oh, yeah. yeah no, never did, heard of it, never, which, by but, the way, yeah.
1: their best songs were ours, but that's okay. We don't <laughs> need to talk about that.
0: <laughs> we will. <laughs> <laughs> I just got off the phone with Greg. This uh, is a tell-all interview, okay? <laughs> this is also therapy for you and I. We got to
1: work out some shit. Work through the never 20. heard of years. <laughs> by the way, you murdered that show at the Key Club that night. Thanks, dog. That was unbelievable. That was when I was like, this fucking guy.
0: I was like 18, 19, So much better day. than that yeah.
1: band. Thank you. You were you were you were world class. That that show that show blew my fucking mind. It's awesome. And then I remember your your lead singer was uh, was parading through the club. Uh, <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Trying to be impressive, and yeah. I just walked up behind him and I whispered, "All of your best songs are mine." Walked <laughs> away, and he's just like, "Dude, what? Who what? <laughs> was that?" Enough? But anyway, yes, you were amazing <laughs> that night at the uh, at the Key Club.
0: You know, thank you. I, I remember that show in particular. Uh, because Rob Cavallo came to that show. Oh, did he really? And Rob was the president of Warner yeah. at that time. And he was obviously Green name producer, oh, yep. Dookie, like all the big. And, and his he, dad. And his dad was the president of Hollywood, yep. Bob Cavallo. So Rob Cavallo came to me or came came because he wanted to sign. Never heard of it. That was when we were doing the freaking label jump circus. around. The, the, yeah, the circus. Good way to put it. Especially back then. I think it's a diff- much different game now. Now, we it's were, a, we're, now it's a social media circus. Yeah. And if you can prove yourself on social media, you can get a label deal. Yeah, we were like but, the,
1: I think we were sort of that last wave of the old school where like, you'd fucking be, at, CDs.
0: S- you'd be at, yeah. at
1: SIR and yeah. it would be like, play the show of your life. You only get three fucking songs. And yeah. there's a dude in a chair with his Blackberry out, yep. not giving a rat's ass about what you're doing. We were kind of the last of that era. Thank God.
0: There's a lot of that still happening, but it's different. And now it's so data driven just based off what are you doing already? I'll do it. 100%. And, can, and can we just 5X you? Yeah. Can we give you three X more money, but then five X you. So we make two X more. I used to,
1: when we, when I was in my band, uh, I would routinely, uh, completely machine gun the, the, uh, the, 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 the showcases, uh, because I would have no problem telling the person from the record label that they were a shit bag and I didn't want to talk to them anymore. And I would just feel the other four members of the band be like, Oh my God, he's doing it
0: again. He's doing it again. <laughs> and we had you one. Self-sabotaging. It wasn't
1: self-sabotage. It was that I hated them. I hated them so much because the things that came out of their mouths were bullshit. And I remember Mm. this fucking guy who had produced one song on a Pearl Jam record and had used it to ride his career. We we, we were supposed, this is how dicky this guy was. We were supposed to play that night. We did play that night at the Dragonfly and we had like 12 labels showing up at the Dragonfly show. And he called and said, I want to see the band. So our manager was like, cool, come and see him with everybody on Saturday night at the Dragonfly. And he was like, nope, I want to see them myself on my own. And it's Saturday morning. And my manager called me and I was like, dude, I'm not going to, I got to put the fucking show of my life on, on Saturday morning and I'm going to blow my voice out quite possibly. And then I've got all of these labels showing up on Saturday night. Like I'm not doing it. And my manager was like, I totally get it. Called the guy back. And the guy literally said, tell your band that I will be at SIR at 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. They can be there or they can't. It's up to them and it's up to their career. Jeez. So now we got no choice. So we go and we put on the fucking show of our lives and then we sit down with this dickhead and it's me and my band and he's on the other side of the table and he looks and the first thing out of his mouth is here's why I wouldn't sign your band because you can't put 500 people into a, a club in Wisconsin right now. And I looked at him and I said your fucking job is to put 500 people into a fucking club in Wisconsin. My job is to give you the fucking songs that made you showcase, made you make me showcase this morning when we have a showcase tomorrow. Fucking to tonight for 12 more labels than you. Yeah, And I can feel Adam and everybody just... And then it turned out that the best part was that right before it, they, there's like the bullshit conversation. It finds out that the dude is actually related to Adam. He's like second cousin, twice removed. <laughs> so it's like this thing that looks like it's going to all work out. And then I just poured gasoline on the bridge as we were standing on it. And I was like eat a dick <laughs> eat a dick so the whole band's just like oh man he's doing it again but it wasn't self-sabotage it was that i i was so angry it's the same problem i have my fucking shit bag radio station that i just quit today it's the it's the the massive disrespect for the artists and for the creators of the art yeah we do the hardest part there are nine million shitty fucking a and guys in this fucking town throw a stone and girls throw a fucking stone and you'll hit them there's one or two or four really, really talented people. Yeah. Jam car there's a hundred thousand of them, and they're all great. Playing all different instruments and doing all different jobs. But because they're vetted. They're vetted. And that's the point, right? Like so to me, it wasn't anything about being self-sabotaging. It was that the 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 complete absence of respect for the artists and for their their path, their journey, the struggle that we went on. To have some fucking dick bag. Literally, we had a we had Jeff Saws now, and I've busted his balls about it. That's why I can say his name. Jeff <laughs> fell asleep on the couch <laughs> in our rehearsal room during our showcase. I would face away wow. from the couch because I didn't want to look at them because they could just see how much I hated them in my eyes. So I would stare away. And then Greg, our mutual friend, who we just I, he, I just was talking on the phone, he said, hello, Elmo. Greg was on the other side of the room, and he's doing this like head nod thing to me, and I'm like, "What the fuck is?" Greg's it? the guitar player, in his guitar player, yeah. and then went on to be yeah. and never heard of it. Stole our songs and gave them to that band without our permission. It's not a big deal. We'll get to that in hour two. Worth so, it. <laughs> so really worth it. Those songs are great. <laughs> so the uh, so he's doing this head nod thing, and I turn around and literally. We're, and you remember how loud our bands were? We were not in quiet singer songwriter <laughs> no. bands. And this dude is asleep. Three on guitar the, players. <laughs> three
0: guitar players at eleven. <laughs>
1: And this dude's asleep on the couch. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit, this is insane. Dude, that's and so then funny. it just went from bad to worse. Then we had the Jeff Blues of the world. And we had all these, like, it was, it, <laughs> it broke the spirit of the band to the point where it got so, I don't know if you know this. It, it got so, <laughs> so bad between me and Greg that I demanded that I heard all of the versions of our songs that never heard of it were doing before I would allow them to be put out. So he would have to bring them to my house on CD. He would pull out outside the, the Madison. <laughs> he would wind the window down a millionth of an inch and just push the CD out. And I would take it oh and my turn God. and walk back into oh the building. Oh my God,
0: the hatred between you guys.
1: And now I'm calling him up being like, am I going to die of a heart attack? He's like, all right, listen, let's talk you down here, champ. It's all going to be okay. So any friendship can be repaired, people. You just have to love each other through it.
0: Yes, for sure. And you just have to break up the band.
1: Yeah, break up the band. (laughs) But nonetheless, fuck the old lead singer from Never Heard of It. All my best songs were his. The fact that he refused to change the lyric on, on Hard Headed from You Can Try to Stop Me, but it's like Stepping in the Ring, which was the original, and your dickhead singer sang... You can try to stop me, but it's like stepping in the rain, and it was the biggest insult <laughs> that I could imagine. So, because I I worked so hard on those lyrics of that song to turn. Do you remember? Do you know what Greg's original lyric was? No. So hardheaded is a song that had it been done by the correct band would have ended up being a smash. Smash. At that point. Total. Smash. Absolute. Freak. It did pretty good for never heard of it. It should have done. It was an yeah, amazing it, it song. Could, it sh- could have gone. It should have been enormous. Yeah, but, if it yeah. had been. Slightly Stupid or one of those other bands, it would have been the Song of the Summer. Could have been a
0: number one K-Rock song, 100%, sure. because yeah.
1: what we did was, what Greg did, that I then managed to sort of scale back a little bit, was, you remember that, to me, because it was...
0: Because Greg, Greg was the uh, your co-writer. Would song Greg was write, the
1: principal songwriter. Principal songwriter. And I was the principal lyric writer. Yeah. And Greg is incredibly talented at making pop-punk
0: masterpieces. Yeah. And when he... When when you guys broke up, he joined. Never heard of it, and then became a songwriter. We never heard of it, so and, and brought a few and of the songs from <laughs> few from the, the Hummer days, from the Smashes. You never it, heard without of
1: it. our permission. Like that's how we they found were out. Those songs
0: They're, were dead. Yeah. You guys were
1: dead. Um, so uh, <laughs> so, but we should have got publishing on every single CD produced and got no money. So anyway, the. Um, the, the, the so remember that fucking 12 beef paddles, 12 beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions all in a sesame seed bun, which was like the McDonald's thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was to me what hard headed was because right. the course of hard headed was hard headed, idiotic self centered. It's ironic. Nothing ever mattered to me till the time you thought you thought me, till the time you thought you knew me. I know you really wanted it. That's half the fun of it. Nothing's, I know you really want it. That's half the fun. And nothing's gonna, try, no, whatever the you ending,
0: you'll keep on coming back. It's not, it's not a, a promise, promise. It's, it's a, a fact. fact. So, and it was fucking <laughs> sick. Greg's Six original, songs. Greg's yeah. original. Let's do it in the tempo. Hard-headed, idiotic, self-centered, it's ironic. Nothing ever mattered to me till the time you thought you knew me. I know you really wanted that. It's just the fun of it. You'll keep on coming back. It's, it's, not, a promise, it's not
1: a promise. It's a fact. fact. <laughs> it was a fucking smash. <laughs> Would have been a smash. The original chorus that Greg presented <laughs> on New Year's Day of 1999 or 2000 was hard-headed, idiotic, self-centered, it's ironic. Nothing ever mattered to me till the time your mama blew me. Oh, jeez. I swear to God. And, and Greg I looked, wrote that? Greg wrote that. And I looked at him and I was like, okay, so uh, I'm 31 years old, champ, and I'm not singing that fucking <laughs> lyric. So I turned it around to what I thought was a p- pretty dope piece of poetry, was nothing ever mattered to me till the time you thought you knew me. Love it. I know you really wanted that to have the fun of it. You'll keep on coming back. It's not a promise. It's a fact. That song, every label in this town wanted to sign us for, well, first they wanted to sign us for the fucking Tory Spelling song. And then the Tory Spelling song was epic. I actually, I sang it at my 50th birthday because it was everybody, everybody in town had heard of this Tory song. But I knew that at 30 years... And this was like the third song I'd written for Tori Spelling. And I was like, I can't be 30 years old. And in mid-state fairs at 45, singing, like, a total alcoholic, like, just <laughs> playing with, like, one original member of the band. Maybe it's Greg. And I was like, I can't... So we would play these shows and they'd be like you know, 150 people at the show and they would start going, Tori, Tori, at the end of it. And the record labels would be like, what's this Tory thing that they're yelling about? And I would look at them and be like, no idea. They started doing that like three weeks <laughs> ago. And I don't know why they yell Tori at the end of our set. And I remember when I was in a band with Onion Up and Paso playing bars and shit. And, and so we did an acoustic version of it and I told that story. And we only did it once and I told the story and then I, and then I, I played the song. And the bartender came up to me afterwards and was like, you're absolutely right, dude. That song would have ruined your life. And then at my 50th, I invited, do you remember Sweetchin? He was the little guitar player in my band. So Sweetchin was an unbelievable emo guitar player who was in our, in, in our band and was like, you know, I was a fan of Death Cab for Cutie before Death Cab for Cutie existed kind of guy. And he was. He came to my 50th and me, Greg, and Adam did Tori on stage at my 50th. And, and by the chorus two, the entire crowd is singing it. And he was like, I sat in the fucking crowd and I was like, this son of a bitch was right about this fucking song. It would have been millions, but we never would have ever come back from it. So that song got burned so that we could do hard headed and hard headed should have put us on the map. But we, we tried it. We did six different versions of that song. And your actually your band's version of it was the most credible. To be honest with you, because yeah. I was incredible singing that song. Because look, look, this fucking guy,
0: come on, Ron Anderson, help you know, him out. But
1: the 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 thing was the fact that your dickbag singer said it was stepping in the rain. <laughs> you could try to stop me, but it's like stepping in the rain. I was so mad, and I remember screaming at Greg down the phone at the at that. And then what you guys also did? Um, I'll change for now. Yeah, which was a great song. Yeah, an even great better song. great song. And the second iteration of it, where Greg put the bridge in, and the bridge is magnificent in that song. Like the two of us crafted, because originally it didn't have that bridge, and the version that we wrote and recorded didn't have the bridge. And then when we started doing it afterwards, it had the bridge. And then you guys got to do the version with the bridge in it. Mm. And that song also should have been a fucking. It's fucking. I had amazing. some monster fills in those songs monster. too. Yeah, monster.
0: They let me do that. It was great. So
1: that was how we met. And then that was how the story proceeded, which is
0: so ridiculous to well, think it, about it. It's, what's crazy to think about is how much our lives have swirled together because it's, I was in Limit Point as a 15-year-old. You were in Hummer. I quit Limit Point and joined Never Heard of It three years later. And then... Gr- Humber breaks up. Greg joins. Never heard oh, yeah. of it. What yeah. are the odds of that? Nope. And we're playing songs that you and Greg wrote <laughs> I know. and doing our versions of it. And I remember being, cause back then, especially I was like, just the drummer. <laughs> right. <laughs> it wasn't until I was in my twenties when it was like my bands, even though I was like in those bands, right. They were my bands, but I was always like just the drummer. Right. So I knew that there was tension going on between, I'd hear it between you and DJ and Jeff and Greg and this. Ah! Oh, I was, yeah. And I
1: was just like, I hated him. I
0: was, just, I was so out of it. I was just like, keep me out of it. Uh, my drums are original, and they're definitely <laughs> way better than the Hummer drums. <laughs> way better. because we have, Well, the, the I'm just kidding. The, no, they were,
1: because that was the problem with that band, is that once Onion left, the whole spirit of the band changed, yeah. because we originally, I wanted it to be like Third Eye Blind meets Oasis. Like yeah. That was what that original band lineup was. And even our virgin, version of Hard-Headed was more of an Oasis version of Hard-Headed. And we should have broken up the minute the onion left and we eked it out. We played one show. uh, Adam and I talk about all the time. We played one show at the whiskey with this drummer, Scott, who after the fact we found out was probably a meth head because he kept getting cold medicine from Adam. And he was an unbelievable drummer And we played one show at the whiskey, which was the greatest show we played as a band. And then everything sort of fell to pieces, but I never wanted to be in a, in a pocket punk proto fucking, I was never that guy. Like I was too old. It was incredible. Yeah. And your band, that was the thing that bummed me out about your band, not doing the songs original, the, the way that we had intended them originally. Because if you had, I was like, when I saw you guys doing them, you did both of those at the key club show. And I was like this is fucking amazing. Like this is this is exactly how these songs should live because this band is doing them with you at the helm is doing them the way they should sound because we're no they're, they you couldn't play the Alan White drum beat. No. The same way that it was interesting like watching yeah. that Dave Grohl thing at the when he tried to do Wonderwall. Yeah. And he couldn't drag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I was like, a that's a different thing. But onion yeah. could, cause he wasn't a particularly good drummer. His drag his he even had like the Alan white ride symbol. So the Alan white is like the stone roses dancy dancey kind of beat. Yeah. That's in wonder and all those things. Onion could drag in a way that no American drummer could drag. Right. And you played all of the pocket punk stuff in a way that we never could because he couldn't hit that consistently. He couldn't hit that fast. And you ruled on those fucking songs. And I watched that show And it really bummed me out, actually, that those songs didn't get their light of day because I really thought that Never Heard of It would was the band that could bring them to everybody, and they could see how brilliant those things were.
0: Never Heard of It did good, but we held ourselves back because we always wanted. We were always like staying DIY, and whenever the labeled thing would happen, it didn't work. Like we picked up Irving Azoff as our manager. Did you really? Yes. Irving was our manager. How much we had Jerry Heller as our manager, as, as strange as that is and rest in peace, Jerry. But like we, we had like these like people and then we signed with Virgin. Right. But it was just like, uh, it was just like never, we were so much better off DIY, all of our success and accomplishments. We sold a hundred thousand yeah. CDs with no CDs with no label. I'm no just trying real to do team. the math
1: of how much money you guys stole from me. Then, um, well, no, because a so
0: a lot of those were yeah. uh, hard-headed was definitely yeah. on, on a good amount of yeah. those, <laughs> yeah, maybe everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't just, mad about it at all. Just but, kidding. So I think Greg got
1: paid though. Maybe ask yeah, Greg course for some he money. Did, <laughs> son of a bitch. And then he <laughs> told me he didn't make any money off of him. Like, you're a fucking scumbag. I,
0: but, so I can't I, believe that Irving Azov was managing. Irving you guys? Azov was our manager, dude. Irving Azov loved so many people loved never heard of it and would get around it. I would see and and that just, logo everywhere. Dude, we were masters uh, of marketing. We were masters of marketing. DJ, love him or hate him, was a hustler. Hustler. Right. And so and so was Jeff, and Jeff is still like my best friend to this day. And right? he went to Japan. Oh, We went to Japan five times, dude. We were big in Japan, literally billboards, and like on the, in Shibuya, on the, in like, the, I forgot what their Times Square equivalent is called, like in Shibuya, but we were on the big screen. I remember being there and being like, wow, it was like 19, 20. Which, and that
1: was. Excuse me, that was all yourselves? It was all yes. self done. Yeah. Well,
0: we, we ended up signing to it like a Japanese, a, a Japanese territory. I didn't
1: see any yen off of those yeah, songs. That was, was not hard headed, oh, but it wasn't, it,
0: but I think I'll change from now was on that. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll change from now was on that album. Yeah. It wasn't the single though. It was a B side. It was track 10. You could yeah. still make
1: money off of B sides back then, Those album tracks still made you cash back in the C D days, just so you know. It was That's a, crazy that you guys did Virgin and Irving A's off and then. I mean that was I was always confused as
0: it just shows you that it's like so many things have to go right for you to actually make it in music. Oh, dude, like, I tell people, oh. like,
1: if you see a great movie or listen to a great album, you're enjoying a miracle. It it, it really is. It's a miracle and because it, there's it, so many places for it to go horribly off the fucking rails. And you
0: could be, like, never heard of it got to the point where we could sell a thousand tickets, like, anywhere in the U.S., yeah. anywhere in Europe, anywhere in Japan, DIY. Yep. Like, that is so... Sign- like, these days, it'd be, like, no matter what, signable. Or or manage- a big manager could come oh, and could just you grow imagine? you if you want to stay... Well, if we were big today, we would have been even bigger. Right. Because we would have taken that... The way you can engage with your fans now... Well, that's what I
1: was about to say. Like, your fucking DJ and Jeff would have... Your TikTok would have been bajillions of we people. Would've,
0: we would have been huge because back then, if you were a DIY band, you had to have a street team. And your street right. team was physical right so right. you had to send mailers yeah you to mail them merch mail them stickers mail them flyers print out flyers at kinko's all the time going to kinko's used to be kinko's yeah <laughs> right like print it out plaster it there print out a hundred go to the mail send it to your fan in chicago to put it up in their city it was like so grassroots and now it's just like make a post Hey, if you guys share it i love you right love you my followers right like that's today which is beautiful it's unbelievable that artists can have that today so if never heard of it was popular don't get me wrong i'm glad that we weren't because i didn't also want to be stuck and never heard of it for my whole life like i'm so grateful i remember we had our 10-year reunion and uh and or we excuse me we did not have our 10-year reunion our 10-year anniversary whatever came up and dj and there was a couple people that wanted us to do a reunion show and get it back together and do all this and i was like no i didn't even consider it because I also like, I mean, we're talking about it right now, but I don't even really talk about. Never heard of it. A lot of people don't even realize that that was me. If they, if they, if they did know, never heard of it. Because never heard of it did like get around, and we had fans, and we toured a lot, and especially the a lot of the industry people from then are still in the industry right. now. So they'll be like every once in a while, they'll be like, "You were in Never Heard of It?" Yeah. Like years <laughs> later, I'm like, "No, I wasn't." So I like because like you know it's just. I was also like the the good kid of never heard of it. <laughs> right. There was a lot of partying going on back then, but it was never me. I was, I mean, I never have been a partier. So, uh, anyways. Yeah. My manager,
1: uh, we worked out that she was at the showcase that we did for capital.
0: That's crazy. She was, one of, she was an A&R person at yeah.
1: that. She's like sat in that room and I was like, yeah, no, we do. That was when Andy Slater took over. Miserable. Like, everything we, was falling to pieces yeah. around us you know yeah. like the people that were making it work like i always had such massive respect for richard and stephanie from drive Through. yeah because Absolutely. they li- who,
0: who managed never heard of it also did they really wait or limit point no they managed never heard, never of, heard of it, it? Richard and stephanie I mean, that makes managed, sense yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah they used to they, so i did a local spotlight they um, ran drive
0: Through records by the way I, I did and they
1: basically invented the new model yeah. They were one of... The, I mean, like I think more so than Razor and Ty and all those other guys. Like For they sure, kind of, more so. They sort yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. Everyone modeled themselves on the drive through Records fucking model. They
0: created a scene in like a brand that you saw that
1: logo and you were like, I'm buying that because whatever that is, it's yeah. going to be great. They had unbelievable fat fucking years. Fat, fat, fat records, records,
0: Epitaph, and drive Through Records. But even I think... drive Through was Records was the younger, was less, the, less punk rock, more pop punk emo.
1: Right. And yeah. also had the thing that, that Fat... Fat certainly... They super served an audience, whereas Drive through pulled in with like RX Bandits and all those others. They're the spread. Phoenix of TX. Phoenix TX. Like Found the, Glory. The, 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 those bands. Blink-182. Like Jimmy Eat World was on. The first time I heard Jimmy Eat World was on a Drive through Records comp. On a comp? They did a song called The uh, H Model. And Richard and Stephanie were based in Ventura. Uh, on Ventura Boulevard, and um, I used to do a local show on Tuesday nights on, on Y107, and I loved Alistair and RX Bandits. Alistair. And all those, dude, all those bands. I played a bunch of shows with them. And too. Phoenix TX. But I was only allowed because it was locals only, so I was only allowed to play bands from the area. So we would literally have every drive-through records band on the air, and I would lie about
0: where they were from. That's so funny. Like
1: Alice, they would be on. I'd be like, "Oh, they're from Simi Valley, Phoenix, TX." Even though it had Texas in the name, but that was when they were called River Phoenix. It was before yep. they had to change their name. I remember that? So they they loved me, and I loved them. It was like such a cool relationship. And being part of that was that that was the most rewarding part of that whole thing. Was because was was that I felt like. My show is actually part of of, an, of of a of a burgeoning scene and of make you know pre internet. We didn't have a fucking website at that radio station. That's how old that was. Well
0: Y one oh seven was awesome. I remember uh, after Hummer when you were doing Y107, I thought you it was were... It before. It was before. It yeah, wasn't yeah. during also? No,
1: because the reason we did Hummer was because I got fired, and then I got all these job offers around the country, and I didn't want to leave fucking LA. I was like, I'm... Did, I'm were I'm,
0: you at a different radio station then?
1: I was at Soundbreak. I was at that internet portal that spent like $90 million in Whoa. a year. We had like our own blimp and all that shit. It was fucking madness. It was totally crazy. Because I remember when you
0: did Y107, I was just like, Whoa. Yeah, it was I, awesome. would, I was, as a kid, I'm listening to K-Rock, Y-107. As just an L- bouncing as an between L- the two of them. All day, every day, as an L.A. kid, you know, didn't have a lot of money, so I couldn't buy all the CDs I wanted. So I would just drum along oh, nice. to Y-107 and K-Rock all day. And then every once in a while, I'd be like, Mom, can I please get the Green Day CD? <laughs> and then, like, finally get a Green Day CD and then burn it out.
1: Greg would yeah. uh, Greg would call me. Uh, before it, because I was on the S7 at midnight, and Greg would call me on like a Friday night, and he'd be like, All right, dude, so we're going to be on the 405 at like, or the 710 or whatever, at like fucking like 803. Can you sneak a thing on my, because he'd be, he'd be on a date. And oh I would go on God. the mic and be like, oh, "This one's going out to Greg and Susanna, who are banging up the fire right now." And he got fucking Roadhead or whatever. He'd be like, "Hey, hey, hey yeah. Yeah. yeah!" And then he was like, he would come to he would come to the station and bring her by. So it would because Adam, oh, the bass God. player. So the reason that that band started is amazing. The reason that band, <laughs> stunning genius. The reason that band started was because I got fired from Y107, and I, I got job offers because you know once you're on the air market too, the world opens up. Because you've proven, you know, the only thing bigger is New York. And the only reason that New York is market one isn't population size, it's population density. Mm. Market two, LA. So it's San Diego, Chicago, Texas, and all these places. And I was like, I just fucking moved here. Like, I'm not moving again. I have Asperger's. I hate change. Like, this, I'm done. So I stayed here. And we had nothing to do. And Adam wasn't working at the station. He wasn't working full time at that station at that point. And Greg was working at the Cheesecake Factory. So Nurse Greg uh, was working at the, at the <laughs> Cheesecake <nurse>. Factory. <laughs> I've got nipples too, Greg. Could you milk me? Um, <laughs> so, um, so Greg had, you know, he had nothing to do during the day. So we were like, fuck it. Do you want to start a band? Let's yeah. just jam together. We don't want to start a band. Do you want to jam? So I started on drums. And it was me, Greg, and Adam as a three-piece. And we just started doing these, like, fucking emo songs. And I was like, "This is really beautiful." And I'm, and they're like, you know, all of the all of the cool stuff that was happening at that point to me was, you know, like the the records from like American Football and Death Cab and all that kind of like jangly thing. And we were sort of a little bit proto punk, but there was this other thing, and then. We tried to find, you know, Onion was going to come and sing. And then Onion came and sang. was terrible. And I was like, dude, you played drums for like three days when you were eight and you were lefty. Why don't you get behind the kit and I'll try and sing. And we did that. And I was like, oh, this is on. But for like the first six months, it was me, Greg, and Adam just playing instrumentals in his mom and his mom in the, the bedroom upstairs or the study upstairs. And his mom would bring us sandwiches during band practice. She'd be like, I put you a sandwich. And we would sitting there and we would just that was Adam was my phone screener and Greg got laid off my show a lot because <laughs> he was it. really good friends with, with Adam. And that was how that band started. And from there, everything just ballooned out. And suddenly every record label, we've dude MCA told us they were going to sign us off of our first show.
0: It's crazy.
1: We played at the dragonfly and my buddy's dad, uh, Owen Sloan, uh, who was, a, uh, Jane's addictions, uh, attorney. Owen Sloan was such a pimp that he had his own booth at the Hamburger Hamlet on Sunset.
0: Wow. Yeah. So I remember that Hamburger Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sure. was
1: straight pimp and so he was just took us on as a project and then brought his you know brought a couple of people to the the first show and this douche from MCA came in. I won't mention his name because I think he's still in the business. But this douche came in and after the show <clears throat> came back and was like this is our first show. We our first show in California in, in Los Angeles comes back with his wife to the, wasn't even a dressing addressing him, it was like an area back was open, but we'd sort of taken it on as a backstage. And he goes, my wife just told me that if I don't sign you, she's going to divorce me. And she looked at him and she's like, I just told him exactly that he has to sign you. Cause you're like minor threat meets Oasis, which was, she was, wasn't the minor threat thing was on because I was bald. Um, I was like, okay. But anyway, that prick then for the next three months, took meetings with us, blew sunshine up our asses, the whole nine yards, and then stopped taking our calls. And what we found out was that's what he did to everybody. Wow. Because what he did by doing that was he stopped everyone else talking to us because everyone was convinced that MCA was signing them. So that band, there was no reason to talk to us anymore. So he took us off of the roster. Nobody else talked to us, stopped talking to us after three months. And then what happens now you're damaged goods and MCA has passed on you. Yeah, everyone's like, why didn't they sign you? Uh, I'm not going to sign you. a band that's, that it's hasn't so been ridiculous. signed. And yeah. we were fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to, for the next nine months, we had to claw back that Hummer was something worth fucking listening to. Dude, right. From our first show. It's so fucked up. That was our introduction to the music
0: that, industry. That's also, an, and, I th- and this was a model then that isn't a model now. Thank God, actually. Thank God, because the model then you had you had two options, you had two routes essentially in the music industry. Number one, building your band and just like literally, the goal is to get a record deal. Yeah, I we're gonna play the shows, and we're gonna do LA, and we're gonna do this, we're gonna do New York, we're gonna get a record deal, and the strategy is all get a record deal. And the other one is build a band that gets fans. Yep, and go get fans and get as many. And that's what you guys you did, and that's what we
1: did. We never heard of it, and we went in the other direction. And yeah. you know what's great? Both failed. Nice.
0: But guess who's both doing great now, 23 years later. And you know what's even better? I am, at least. Both no. of them used my songs. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to play a little music right now. Oh, take are we? little, Yeah, we're going to play one song, Just take a little hard-headed? break, and then we're going to get into the session. <laughs> Should I see if it's in AMP? It's not, oh, dude, if they'd never oh heard of a version of
1: hard it is in AMP, that would really bring the whole thing full circle. I know the Homer version isn't, though I keep telling Adam we need to. That goes uh, to show that this was completely unplanned. <laughs> That's what I love about the AMP shows. Oh, yeah. this it's is like jazz. This is jazz. It's all it's radio yeah. jazz. It's all improv. That's I what love
0: I, it. Dude, it's my favorite thing about jazz. It's my favorite thing about radio, and it's my favorite thing about doing the show is it's just improvising with my homies, and I'm very lucky to have you as a friend and people in my life that inspire me. I'm a a literal fan of yours, especially what you're doing now, not so much your past, (laughs) but
1: (laughs) fan enough to have ripped off two
0: of my songs, but nonetheless, I I stuck around because I knew you had potential (laughs) and one day day I could be a fan. (laughs) I was like, I could be a fan of his in about 15, 20, 23 years. Oh, by the way,
1: I want to officially ask you, will you, uh, do you want to do a, a session on my 54th? You know it. All right, let's do it. Me hosting it. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna. you oh! do. you do another one. You want to do Pantera this time,
0: dude? <laughs> I have Pantera queued up as our next song.
1: <laughs> you know it. Yeah, guy.
0: Oh, I gotta find
1: us a venue. December? No, January 27th. Around January, January 27th. Whatever.
0: Oh my god. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. All right, we're gonna transition here because we need to. We need to talk about the session because. It's the coolest thing you do, in my thanks, opinion. Thanks. Um, so I, I love that. <laughs> we've both evolved so much. So I know. Good on us. Good on you. I've watched you grow so much, my big brother. Likewise. And um, I mean, it, I will say, I, I, let me interrupt you
1: because I will just continue to do it. <laughs> um, so don't let me. I'm just going <laughs> to do it either way. Being a tertiary member of your family is such an enormous. Comfort to me. That's awesome. Like I genuinely love those people. Like when I get to show up here, or I show up at the fucking go, brother go, and it's like your mom's there, and now it's like your third cousin twice removed who didn't know she was a third cousin <laughs> twice removed. Like Second, it's like the extended yeah. <laughs> family is growing and growing, and I get to see and like sit and watch you two play, and it's this unbelievable experience. It's one of my favorite live shows I ever see every single time, and that part of our friendship is. As vital as all the other bits, and adds like this, this, this sort of three dimensional thing, which in this town is really hard to find.
0: Thank you, man. It means a lot. It's and really hard
1: to find. My family loves you, dude. Apart from the fact that your dad keeps almost giving me COVID every time we fucking hang out, <laughs> everything else is great. Apart from that bit, it's great. Like, but, but he <laughs> it doesn't. It's just a new. I know. It's just yeah. a text that tells you you might have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, uh, he's like, Oh, by the way, well, we'll swear we, we split a joint the other day. Uh, you should probably just know. And I'm like, Oh, all right, I'll got I got to uh, have a bunch of tests that are literally just Elmo's dad is written on the L.
0: <laughs> Save these. Yeah, yeah. These three are for or just in general. These three these are, are in for case any, I see Elmo's any dad. Any jam
1: card hang or a Go Brother Go show. I have them in the car just in case. So, um, talk about how good I am at everything.
0: Okay, so here comes how good you are. Thanks. So, uh, I mean, when you, you were on the radio for years as well, KLOS, yeah. a bunch of other radio stations, which I always thought was the coolest thing ever, being on LA radio, and you were on iconic radio, LA I radio was. stations, man, yeah. which is fucking Thank awesome. You. And then you started doing the session, and that was when you blew my mind for the first time, and. So, the session, I know you got a, hey, there's a bunch of fans probably listening to this and everything of yours that know exactly what you do and love what you do. You have such a strong like cult following with that. But then, for anybody that does not know the session, I highly recommend you seeing it, you listening to it, you tuning into it. Hopefully, there will be more of it coming really soon. Yep. And, uh, but essentially, Christian. And I I got, I got, I want to say what you do first, my interpretation of what you do, and then I want to understand how this even came to be because I don't even actually know how it came to be. So before you interrupt me, yeah, please, um, Christian has somehow the stems to hundreds of the best songs of all time. We're talking Queen to the Beatles to Pantera to the greatest band of all time, Van Halen, Um, and. Christian, from your years of being a DJ, being a music lover, and just how nerdy you get studying things and going deep into history and facts and everything, is, and how great of a storyteller you are and a rambler you are. Um, <laughs> Tell me about it, Christian does this show, the session where he breaks down a song, actually two songs typically per, per uh, show, if it's a live show. And he starts with... Playing just the bass stems, just the, or just the drum stems, then it goes to just the bass stems, just the guitar stems, all isolated. Then finally the vocal, or if there's sound effects or horns or whatever else it may be, depending on how many tracks there are uh, in that in the in the ISO stems, or if it's the Beatles and it's like four, but uh, that's as small as it gets. And and he does it, and in doing it, tells you the story of how the songs were made, and it's like it's like seeing through the songs and getting to hear it's like looking at a painting and being able to see the underpainting and like understanding like how this song became and like listen to the nuances of Freddie Mercury's vocal as he's singing this part and how you can hear him drinking water in between this take and clearing his throat or listen to this listen to how these drums sound with this song but if you actually isolate the drums and hear only the drums they actually sound like crap but then when you actually put it in the context of the song they sound absolutely perfect and it's just like you, you re-fall in love with songs when you go and see the session and you hear Christian explain to you why these songs are amazing and the stories of how they're recorded and the back history of the artists and everything that happened and the drama and the love and the hate and the everything that happened with it. So it's really one of the best shows ever. And he's been doing it. well I, You've been doing it in L.A. for several years now. Yes. And it's amazing. It's always packed, sold out. All this shit's great. And then we got to do them at the Jam Card House,
1: which was awesome.
0: Which was the best when we when we first launched the real version of Jam Card, which was attempt two. <laughs> attempt one was fail. Try again. Isn't Att- it always attempt two? We're still on, baby. We're, we're five still years, going. six years into attempt two. So let's keep it going. Um, and uh, and we did that was in in the same week we started doing the Jam Jam at the Jam Card House. And we started doing the session at the Jam Card House, and we were doing them every other week for a glorious eight weeks or something. Yeah, that whole summer was amazing. The whole summer, and it was incredible. And and we're talking, you doing Stevie Wonder songs, you doing...
1: Toto, we did Rosanna, which Toto, blew everybody's dude, mind. Toto, Marvin Gaye. Yeah, yeah. Like, Halen, oh, Fleetwood Mac.
0: Van Halen, Fleetwood Mac. Uh,
1: How did you start doing the session? Um, It started as, uh, you know, like if you were around engineers and producers in L.A. mid 2000s, these things started to appear. And what had happened was that, you know, if you if the all of those original recordings were done on tape and the, you know, the tapes either, you know, if you're the Universal Music Group, you allow 100,000 of them to be set on fire by accident. And uh, if you're (laughs) because that's care. Uh, And if you're not, and you simply have these tapes, the tapes start to disintegrate over time. So they have to rebake them in these ovens to get the, the plies of the, the vinyl of the the tape to actually stick back together. And eventually they fall to pieces. So what happened was they, they, they would send them to these archive houses and with no oversight and engineers at these archive houses would be like, am I looking at, Fucking all of the like seven greatest Fleetwood Mac songs of all time, and nobody's sitting here. I'm just and they would slide them onto a hard drive and leave. And then all of a sudden, you start to see engineers when you'd go to a recording session or you'd be hanging out with somebody, and you know they'd tell you that they'd be like, "Yeah, man, I got Fleetwood Mac," and be like, "Oh, I got the Who," and you trade them. So this whole underground started trading these things. And I had, you know, been working. I when I came out of the radio experience, I started. At the same time that I was a Sirius, I started producing records indie and then did a couple for Island. And so I was working with Pro Tools and, and getting these things. And I built a pretty good library. And when I was on Sirius with uh, Jason Ellis, the skater, we did a show together. And we were also in a, a, a joke band that started out as Tony Hawk's Taint Stick and then became Taint Stick and then went from Taint Stick to Death, Death, Die because we got signed to the Cottonmouth Kings record label. And they proceeded to rip us off as labels do. So we broke up uh, due to artistic differences and then reformed the next day as Death, Death, Die. And then proceeded to get on the iTunes charts with these fucking ridiculous records that we made. And uh, Jason would come to my house and we would get high and be laughing our asses off. And he was a huge Pantera fan and a big Queen fan. So I would play him the the bits. And I was like, you know, we like this, I think, you know, People would dig this. He's like, yeah, dude, people would dig this. He's like, can, can, can we, can they come? Because he didn't understand. He was like, can you get him out of that machine and onto the radio? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's easy. I'll just put him into a Pro Tools file. He's like, ah, oh, mate. So I started doing the vocals with him on Sirius, and it was hugely successful. Oh, I didn't and know that. And then I tried to do a full song just with him. Just the vocals. Just the vocals. So I tried to do a full song with him, and his ADHD didn't really allow for it. And so he was like, yeah, mate, let's just go back to doing the vocals. And I was like, cool. Whatever you need. And then when I I will put it politely, when I left Sirius, when I was invited to not work for the Sirius Corporation anymore, <laughs> uh, I immediately called my buddy Andy, who was over at a place called The Sound, and I said, you guys posit yourselves as the, the radio station for music fans. And I was like, I think I have this fucking segment that could be really successful on that radio station. And I think that Mark, cause it was Mark of Mark and Brian was the morning show guy over there. They brought him back. <clears throat> and I was like, i I think that Mark would be into it. So Andy went to Mark and, uh, told him about the thing. And I, Mark bless Mark Thompson is the, is the single greatest gift in all of this stuff. He put me on the air, sight unseen, had no idea what I was going to do. And he said, yeah, bring him in. And I said to Andy, I was like, what's Mark's favorite band? And he said, Marvin Gaye. And I was like, oh, dude, I got this. And it was heard It Through the Grapevine. So I went in on a Thursday morning. And uh, the way Mark tells it, he's like, you know, I mean, look at me. I like, well, I, I'm like your worst nightmare in radio. So I walk in and he's like, what the fuck is this creature? And he said the moment that he knew that we were going to be okay was I flipped open the laptop and then I pulled out the white index card. And he looked at the white index card and was like, oh, this dude knows what he's doing. Nice. And then I proceeded to do heard it through the grapevine with him. I get goosebumps talking about with him sitting next to me and his brain because heard it through the grapevine is one of the greatest songs of all time. It's one of the greatest recordings of all time by some of the greatest players of all time and sung by one of the greatest voices of all time. It's the the planet smasher entry gateway drug for the session. And he lost his fucking mind and was tearing up during the vocal. And then when I came off the air and I was done, he looked at me and he was like, you're coming back every month to do this. Mm. And then uh, the sound, <laughs> the, the, the program director of the sound hired me and he went into Andy and Andy and I had been friends since Wyoming or seven days and he went, went into Andy and he goes, oh, I got great news. I just hired Christian hand full time and he's coming on and blah, blah, blah. And Andy looked at him and was like, <sighs> congratulations. You've just hired the loosest cannon I have ever met in my life and gave him keys to the building. <laughs> And then I proceeded to make Dave Beezing at the at the Sounds Life miserable for the eight <laughs> months I lasted at that radio station. And then they uh, they flipped. So while I was doing that, I was also making a, a record with um, my somebody who then went on to become my girlfriend for Island. Uh, cause that's a cliche that has to happen. So we, we, you know, I would, we would record all day and I, I would tell her, I was like, I I'm not one of these guys that at first, this is my apartment. And secondly, I'm not somebody who records until six in the fucking morning. I'm like, this is a job show up at 10. If it's six, we feel like we got everything and we're good to go. We stop. We'll meet up the next day. I'm like, this is a job. And, uh, but if it's six, we're still going, I'm not going to be like six o'clock. Stop being inspired. You know, we'll just go <laughs> until the inspiration stops. But you know, and she was like, cool. So we'd finish at like eight. And uh, on like the end of week one, she was like, What do you do after I leave? And I was like, oh, I just get high and listen to music and fuck around. And she was like, Well, can I sit and do that with you? And I was like, Yeah. So we get high and I started showing her things. And uh, we were hanging out one day. And she looked at me and she was like, It's a real bummer to me that we can't invite your friends and my friends into your apartment to sit and watch you do this. She's like, Because I get, a, I get a, a private show every night that's amazing. And I was like, you really think anyone give a fuck? And she was like, dude, this would be really cool if you did this as a live show. And then at the same time, I'd sort of had the idea because I had gone to see this guy do a Beatles presentation and it wasn't particularly, you know, it was difficult to, to be, I won't talk shit about it. It was, he does it his way. And the, one of the things I learned from his presentation was that it was all a PowerPoint and it was scripted and I could feel that it was something that he'd done a bunch of times. So it wasn't, exciting and it didn't feel dynamic, which is what it should feel like. If you're talking about the greatest recordings and you're talking about music, which is so spiritual and so important. And it was a PowerPoint presentation. But one of the things that I noticed was he didn't have stems or tracks, but he had those, he had outtakes from those anthology series, like where there'd be like B versions and talk in between songs and he would play those. And I watched the audience like re-engage because they were hearing something they hadn't heard before. And I was like, Oh, two things. A, this has to be improvised from the moment I walk on stage. This can't be scripted. I have to be as unaware of what's about to happen as the audience is because that will keep it exciting, even if I have to do a song like you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I've done 20 times, and I still haven't done the perfect Bohemian Rhapsody show. And the other thing I need to do is to understand how important people hearing these things are. Yeah, And the things have to be given the time that they need to be, you know, there, there are examples on YouTube of people doing this and they talk over the vocals and they talk over. And I'm like, you can't do that. So I learned two things. And then, so I was at the sound and I went to the program director of the sound. And I was like, Hey, I want to do a show uh, at water village at the at swing house, which was our friend Phil's place, which was beautiful. And I was like, I, uh, I want you guys to rent because I can't sell tickets because I don't know what I'm going to be selling tickets to because mm-hmm. I don't know what this is going to be. I know that I'm gonna have a screen with a Pro Tools thing and some, and then I'm gonna play the songs and talk. And I yep. have a white index card. I don't know what it's gonna be like. So I was like, Will you guys, it's, it'll be a sound event where you guys rent the, the thing and then I can give away tickets for free. And that way we don't have to sell tickets. And they were like, okay. So I went on the air and I was like, hey, I'm gonna do a thing. And I have no fucking clue what it's gonna be. And I'm gonna do uh, Totos, Rosanna. And actually, I don't even think I've announced the songs. So I was like, I'm gonna be doing this thing. And we 150 tickets went. And I went on, on stage. And uh, I did, I think I did, heard it through the grapevine first and then went back to the green room and I, w- I was vibrating because I was like, this is it. Yeah, This is the thing that I've been dying to find my entire life because this is all the things that I care about. This is all the things that I want to do. I love making people laugh because as a traumatized human being, there's nothing better than getting people to not be traumatized. Mm. Uh, and I get to be a music fan and I get to like show people how much I love music and how much they love music because they're going to be reengaged. None of the songs I do a deep album cuts that nobody's heard before. Yeah. You know unless you show up for a queen Terra where i 'm getting you to fucking come to learn how amazing Pantera are by rewarding your patience for the first hour with some with some queen, um, most of the stuff is stuff that you 're fully engaged in and already know, but you 're listening to it in an entirely new way and you 're getting and the thing that i didn 't realize happen is because we 're musicians and we 've been part of the experience of creating music in a studio and working in that way. we already have like a tertiary the eq understanding of songs and we can listen into them and you could you could focus on a bass line one of the things i didn't realize that i would do with this thing is teach people that skill and so much feedback i get from people is like i can now hear things in songs in a way that i couldn't before and it was a transferable skill from song to song they're like dude i can hear bass lines where before i couldn't find a baseline because all they needed to know was where that bass line sat and what they were listening to and then the nice thing about the jam card ones was how many people like Phil Lasseter every single time would be like, dude, I got to go to the studio. I'm so fucking inspired. And then oh, the other yeah. thing of like Phil's favorite thing was like, bro, I'm going to start leaving mistakes in.
0: Yes,
1: He's like, I'm going to stop fucking fixing everything. He's like, yeah. these motherfuckers had mistakes, all his bum notes. There's people slipping out of time. I'm like, yeah, dude, humanity. So the, the whole thing rewarded everything that I cared about as far as music was concerned and also was, you know... It's not necessary i mean it's, it's more arrogant to make your band be the headliner on a tour that somebody else has booked but there's <laughs> the, the arrogance of being able to say that you know it's it was really nice similar to you and I think that's where the one of the you know that is one of the commonalities of our experience is creating something that nobody has done before yeah because I can't fit into a jello mold man I right. couldn't even be a fucking radio I couldn't be on the radio dude i went to the, i went to I went to the sound and my first day on the air when they hired me full time, my Facebook status was, have you ever felt like you don't belong somewhere? Wow. Because I looked around and I was like, oh, this is a death march. Yeah. Like this is just a, that's same as fucking KLOS. That's a death march. Radio is a death march. There is no, nobody's doing anything. The newest thing to happen on radio was me. Yeah. That's not arrogant. That's oh, yeah. a fucking truth. The newest element of a radio show to ever happen. Frank from God bless him. Frank from Heidi and Frank was like, this is it. You know, when Uncle Joe Benson walked up to me and said, you are doing some of the greatest radio I've ever heard. Because he came in. He, it was really beautiful, actually. He, I did the show w- with Mark for a while before I got the full-time gig. And Uncle Joe Benson is a, a, a just a statuesque figure in radio history. And I would walk into the studio and I just look at him and be like, um, you know, uh, uh Warren Zevon. he would be like, Oh, ho, ho, Warren. I remember doing three hits of brown acid with Warren Zevon in a van driving back for every single one. He had a fucking story for Amazing. that. was just insane. And I did Boston one morning and the next uh, day he, no, that day I did Boston and then I was sitting outside and then he walked in and he was like, I just did something I haven't done in decades. It's like, I sat in the parking lot and I listened to you do Boston and I wept in my car. Wow. Because my friend Brad had never sounded more beautiful to me. Wow. And I was like, it's the same thing with Mark Thompson. I was like, when these dudes who have literally seen all of it are walking up to you and being like, that is fucking, what are you doing? I knew that I was onto something. Yeah, And I had to, I, the, the, I think that's the hardest part of the entire journey. Like so much of me is like, man, I wish I was fucking just give me 10. Years. If I was 43 right now, instead of 53 and I had 10 more years of this, cause I'm not gonna be doing this at 63. I'm not the fucking James Lipton of music. And I was like, if I could just, this up, I just want to be fucking 43. But the idea of like, it took to, to, to 45, which is when this thing really started to, to the, to carve out a place that was uniquely mine because I couldn't find any other place to fit. I'm like a broken jigsaw puzzle piece. Mm. Hence. Yep. Because I couldn't find a, I couldn't find a job radio. I was like, I can't, I can't be in a fucking on air studio, like a fishbowl playing the sa- I walked into the second week I was on the air at the fucking sound. I walked into the program director's office and I said, how many songs are in our library? Because I've been here for two weeks And I think I've heard all of them because I'm starting to hear repeats. Yeah. That radio station, their library extended from 1969, basically, to 1989. It stopped at grunge. That's 20 years. Take a guess at how many songs they had in their music library.
0: 50.
1: 210.
0: Wow. That's crazy. That's 20 years of the richest history of music. And there's 200. And there's two. That's 10 a year. 10 a year. It's all just number one a month. It's just one number one's just recycling. Yeah, it's crazy to think how many hits there were back then. Hundreds a year. There were
1: songs that were hits for five fucking days that you'll never, they'll never forget. There were songs that took over the charts for eight weeks that you'll. And we were doing two hundred of them, and I was like, "What the fuck? I, I'm gonna die here.
0: You're just gonna play the same. I'm gonna 200 play the same, f- and I get knows.
1: sixty. I get ten seconds to talk. Like being on amp, it's like it's fucking forty minutes between songs sometimes. You can do whatever you want. But it's jazz, bro. Yeah, and yeah. like commercial radio, the reason that commercial radio is dying is because the people that are in charge of commercial radio refuse to let commercial radio do what it should do, which is what amp is doing. Yeah. Give the fucking talent the room to do what you know they can do. If you can tell, and not everybody can do it. You can't, not everybody can go on the fucking, go on the radio and talk for 25 minutes and keep it interesting. But my friend Toby can play 50 songs in an hour that'll blow your fucking mind. First person fired when Sirius took over XM. Wow. XM fucking took her off the air. Her fucking show, her channel, sorry, not even a show, her channel on XM. Every year in Spin Magazine was the thing you should be listening to if you are a music fan. Because she cared so deeply about that fucking channel. The first person fired when Sirius bought XM. Wow. And I was like, you assholes. Yeah. Your job was to look after this music. Your job was to care for this art form. And instead, all you give a fuck about, as always, is the money. All you give a fuck about is the return on your investment. And the return on your investment is the last thing you can do is trust the people who are doing the fucking job for you, who care so deeply about what they're doing. So the only choice I had was to create something from the ground up that I cared about more than anything else. And I thought that was being in a band. Yeah. I thought that was going to be being, a, a, you know, being on the road as a. Because I just, I, I don't know if about you, but like all, I, the the one thing I knew since I was a kid was I just wanted music in my life every day. I didn't know how that was going to happen, so yeah. I wore every single fucking hat that I could. You know whether it was you know I'd never thought I'd be a DJ on the radio, so you know I did college radio, and then it came out, and then I was you know on the road with PM Dawn, and then I was the fucking you know stage manager for the Gravediggers, and then all that fucking madness, and then I worked for Island Records, and then worked on music videos, and did the fucking Hey Ya! video, and all. And every single place I went, I realized that the music was actually the last thing that anyone cared about. Yeah, that was the last item on the fucking list: catering, blowjobs, cocaine, film stock. Last thing at the bottom: music. And I was like, okay, I need to I need to find a way for music to be the only thing that I get to care about. And the fucking great pumpkin was like, well, let's bring a bunch of fucking weird things together that are eventually going to end up with you doing this. And it's going to be the most rewarding experience of your life, but it's also going to be the most stressful experience of your life because being a disruptive technology is hard fucking work. Yeah. And you piss people off. You piss people off. Yeah. You 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 put people's noses out of joint yeah. because they think of the way it should be done. So you got to fight those fucking headwinds. Like everything is an uphill fucking battle and people come in and they leave. And at the end of the day, you're still just you. Like all I wanted, can somebody just fucking care about this as much as I do for yeah. fuck's sakes? Yeah. You know? And then you end up
0: in Dubai. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Two things. Yeah. So it's funny that that's why you're doing it because you saw that music was like the last thing when, even though it was a music thing, the music's like the bottom of the barrel. I started Jam Card because I was like, musicians are at the bottom of the barrel of the music industry. And when I became a music director and started working with labels and looking at tour budgets and then seeing musicians as the bottom line item, bottom line item, then that was when I was like, Oh, it's figuratively. It's actual, it's like not just figurative, It's like literally literally now. the last, literally most literally the least important thing. I can see it yeah. as the bottom line item. And that was what made me be like, I have to start jam card. I can't, I have to put musicians at the top yeah. of this fucking line item and like, and, and, and represent that. And like, that's why I always say the music industry was built to benefit the industry. Jam card is the musician industry, which is built to benefit musicians. percent. And, like, and that's like the whole, ethos of what we do with it. And, and, uh, and it, but it's, it, but it's, it's, it's awesome that here you are now and you're like. Bringing life back to a lot of these artists that are gone, right? Like that's the heavy, like, uh, like, uh, like him listening to Boston, right? And crying because these, these voices are these people that have died. Like it's so emotional hearing you do the sound garden, sound garden, like
1: Chris Cornell vocal, rip your heart to shreds. It's,
0: it's unbelievable. Bowie, Unbelievable. MJ, like
1: all of them, any of those that Prince, I mean the print session with yeah. Wendy was fucking three and a half hours. Yeah. And at the end of it, when we're playing the Volk, you can hear people crying in the crowd.
0: Yeah, it's insane. You it's know? insane what you what you do is so beautiful because you make people feel right and you and you honor these artists and these musicians like at the highest level and so many of them are people that are songs that maybe they're the, maybe they are in the two hundred and ten song catalog but they're just thought of as this like oh this song that I've heard a thousand times and then, oh yeah I love this song but whatever it's a, you know well, that's I, why I when hear it when I'm at Starbucks when people are like you
1: know can you come into a session you pick the song yeah it's always going to be Hollywood Nights
0: yeah so good. The vocal's unbelievable. The vocal's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's
1: one of those where you're like, you know Bob Seger's a badass. And yeah. you're like, yeah, man, it's fucking Bob Seger. There's a bunch of and songs. And you're like, yeah, that, I know that song. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's a bunch of his shits in the, I sold me some trucks, and it's all in the, the, the great song canon of America. And then you hear that thing, and you're like, oh, so I didn't, it's like the Bee Gees, like I didn't value that as high as it should. Doing Devo over the weekend with Mark Mothersbaugh and rooms packed with fuck Shepard Fairy was like, dude, I'm fucking, I've heard Satisfaction a million times. I'm a huge fan. I knew that that song was important. Now I understand that that song is a fucking work of art. I'm like the fact that this band is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a fucking crime, dude. There's no Daft Punk.
0: Yeah. You do all the building blocks and you let people feel like, oh, they can actually hear the vocal booth and you can hear how you can hear all the subtleties of it. and You can hear the work. You can yeah. hear
1: the care because yeah. we know as musicians that we sweated over. The, I'm pissed that your fucking idiot lead singer changed two words. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else would be like, who gives a fuck, dude? It says every day in rain. Who cares? Yes. It's like, no, 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 no. I had to sit there and take fucking Greg's <laughs> take lyric beating. from fucking, you thought you knew me the time your mama blew me <laughs> and, bring, and fucking be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, like it just... So that's the thing is like to show people that, you know, I mean, I tell them, I was like, you know, music is the only art form where you can unpaint the painting. Yeah. You Can't do that with anything else. You can't show the inspiration and the choices with a page of, of, of in a book yep. or a painting or a movie scene. There's nothing else that you can do this to. Yeah. This is the, and it's the most important art form. It's the most significant fucking thing. The, the, the song canon of America and of the world is our Library of Alexandria, our entire world, the history of our culture, the history of our people, the history of the journey of women, of black people, of Indian people, everybody. All of the culture is their music represents all of it. Yeah. And the people whose jobs it was to look after it loud a fucking fire to happen where the safeties were fucking stashed on top of the original versions. Yeah. And then they know. have the balls to tell me that I'm not fucking, I'm not doing something good. Yeah. I'm like, I care more about this fucking music than the industry does. You care more about the artists than the fucking industry does. Like the fact that you know all these fucking people, I, can, I barely remember your name. <laughs> And the fact that you know everybody's name who you meet and you care, so you'll be like, oh, that guy plays fucking percussion in an Urdu band from, I'm like from Guatemala that also does covers of fucking Parisian, you know, top 20 hits. And I'm like, no clue. Lovely guy. I smoked a cigarette with him outside. He's amazing. Great but lad. Yeah. Francois is outrageous. <laughs> you know, all of them and you know, everything that they're doing. It's like, that is your, that is your care for the industry. And the, and mm. the, I think it's really unique actually. And it's interesting that we're both drummers.
0: Hey, there's a real, there's a through line there with the drummers. You
1: know, like the, we're, we, we were in support from day one. We chose not to be the front man. I was yeah. thrust into being a front man. I never yeah. wanted to be a lead singer. And one of the reasons that Hummer had to break up was because I sat, on st- I stood on stage singing and there was 250 people and I looked at them and I was like, oh, we got a problem here. This transaction is, is, is flawed because you think I want adoration and uh, what I want is understanding. Mm. And I was like, I can't do this anymore because I don't, I don't want and to. They're,
0: and they're drinking. They're like gin and tonic. Like, what is he talking
1: about? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't need blowjobs. <laughs> I want to fucking hug. So, you know, like the fact that we're, we're both in positions of support as a musical instrument choice. And now we are in support, even though you're in the you're, the you're the star of every single fucking show that you do. Every every jam card. You're the guy. I'm the star of this thing. We are reluctantly that person because we're trying. We're, we're constantly being like, "Hey, here we go," and then we take the
0: spotlight and angle it at somebody we're else. We're constantly shining the spotlight constantly. on everybody else, constantly. Yeah.
1: And that's, to me, that's the that's the real yeah. beauty of what it is that that we've chosen to or has been chosen for us to do. If you want to put it in hippie bullshit, Burning Man terms, mm-hmm. is that if you look at the journey, we didn't choose this.
0: Yep. Yeah. We didn't choose it. It, We evolved into it and kind of unlocked it because we had no other choice. Yeah,
1: the choices were sort of like taken away from us. Like it was like all the bits that weren't the statue were chipped away, and then you're left with a big pair of balls in marble in front of you.
0: (laughs) That's how I feel. Yeah, I feel the same way. David's balls. We're both. We're both super lucky to be able to do what we do and to be where we're at right now, and just to be able to care as much as we do, and people care that we care, and that's why people support what we do.
1: And it has a gravity to it. Yes. That has a gravity to it, and it's also, it's self-policing, because yeah. the people that that come in that don't care as deeply about it, that think of it from other perspectives, they get spun off out of the, just the fucking pure, you know, the, the gyroscopic gravity of the whole thing. If you're not in it for yeah. the same reasons that we're in it for,
0: but that's why right now, Without getting too descriptive, please. <laughs> I I think that you are. I think that you are at you. You fit the edge of this next level. Like you went from this level with the session, you went from this level to this level, this level to this level, this level to this level, and I think right now you're here, right? And you're like on a breakthrough zone. Your head's fucking stuck up against against it right now. And there's people that are above that are like standing on it and holding you fucking down right now or trying to, right? They're trying to be like, no, 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 no. Or only yes, if I own it, right? Or whatever it may be. And I think that that's why you just got to keep fucking going and keep pushing and keep being resilient because you're going to break through that because you do have the support of everyone that cares about how much you care and what you do and how you affect them. So you're going to break through that. And there's gonna be a shitload right now, there's pressure building right there, right? Yes. And you're gonna have a shitload of it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you're gonna you're gonna break through that fucking thing, dude. And you're gonna have the right people supporting you. You which are and they're already all lined up, including yes. me, and including uh, people that love you, people on my team, you're in our family, and other teams that we all admire that acknowledge what you do and admire what you do and love you and are good people. So they're all there, right? Like, on the other side, just being, like, you're ready to ready to help, like, pull you up and catch, but you just got to fucking break through this pressure. Hold your shit together while you're going through it so you don't fucking lose your mind, right? Or have a heart attack. Or have a heart attack. Get that blood pressure down. And then it's going to be the the next level for you is going to be fucking insane, man. It's going to be amazing. I, I hope. I feel like it's going to be your most blissed out phase because I think it'll finally give you the access to do what you want to do, which is just to have the rights to do these songs because what you're doing is benefiting them and benefiting the asset holders that, that own or the people, the shareholders that own those assets, you're only helping them. And I think once that is fully fucking realized your whole life's going to change and the session's going to change for the better and, and it's going to feel good and it's going to feel real good. You just got to get through this fucking point right now. And, and know that it's there. And I'm, dude, it's the same. I, I, it's, I've gone through that, not literally haven't gone through this with the session and everything, but like with jam card phases or whatever, whenever I know that it's like, Oh, this is a really fucking hard moment. So we, I feel like it happens like every couple of years where it's like, there'll be like, Oh, everything's going good. Everything's going good. And then we'll get to a point where it's like, Oh fuck, I got to figure some shit, some shit out right here because because it, it, it's whatever it's growing pains or it's just Cri- world crisis is or what, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Even though that, even though the the most recent COVID world crisis, I think ended up being a, uh, that quite, was, I mean that quite a beneficial thing for you, even though it's a game changer because you couldn't do shows, but then you go into Instagram and getting thousand, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers on different platforms and everyone fo- And then like your idols coming in and chiming in and interacting with you on it. Cause that's what happened. Christian started doing the session on Instagram when, uh, when COVID hit and you yep. were fucking stuck inside your apartment as we all were stuck wherever we were. He started streaming it for the first time because he never would. And it fucking blew up shit yeah. virally organically blew up and you have like jimmy jam to john mayer in the fucking comments nile rogers nile while i was rogers. doing a chic one dude and so I, I have sick. the video
1: of my face yeah. as i see fucking nile rogers and he's like literally like what's going on here yeah and i was like oh, oh, oh jesus fucking
0: christmas <laughs> steaks <laughs> yeah i
1: it was, like, yeah, yeah, was like, <laughs> uh, it was it was like not, just watching it go up still I'm, stop commenting everybody <laughs> keep that coming um, it was beautiful the night with yeah. you know the first time we did prince with with wendy in the room you know oh, and yeah. and the 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 last playthrough of the song the chat room just filled with purple hearts for four minutes and it was just like so sick this really unique beautiful experience and i definitely would have not been on the trajectory that i'm on because of that and that's the hardest part right is to continually be because at a certain point you have to just remind yourself Because the other reminders from outside aren't enough. And, uh, you know, this point is the hardest struggle with this thing that I'm doing that I've ever, that I've experienced in the six years that I've been doing it full throttle. Losing venues, gaining venues, this fucking thing that this sort of Damocles that hangs over my head the whole fucking time. Having people come and go. But then weekends like last weekend where I'm doing it with fucking, you know, Mark Mothersbaugh, Devo, who I can, you know, can see his understanding of his own music is changing because he hasn't been, he hasn't allowed himself to feel this about his own work and those experiences. And you're just like, man, I got to just fucking, you know, it's, it's, I was listening to uh, Bill Mars pod, uh, the podcast version of, uh, of, um, that fucking politically incorrect, which should just be renamed. Okay. Boomer at this point. And uh, (laughs) I'm fucking believable, but he had some fucking old, like, Country guy wasn't Travis trip, but it was like one of those dudes with an amazing voice. And Bill asked him, he was like, you know, what's the, what's the one piece of advice that you wish you could give the, the younger version of yourself. And he said, be patient. Mm and that's the hardest part of the whole thing. Like I look for at it, I'm sure. like I'm fucking 53 years old, man. Like what I wouldn't give to be your weight and your age, looking at what <laughs> I'm doing in that order. If I if it had to be, you get one of them, it's definitely your weight uh, and <laughs> for sure. But you know, the, the idea of like, you, the patience part of it is so vital because you can't, all of these things have to show up at the right time. And it's all timing. And if you're, If you're not there, then it can't happen. And you just, I'm fucking worn the fuck out. I did almost a thousand songs on Instagram over COVID, man. I'm just fucking, you know, and the the live shows and it's so much work and this fucking thing and all this bullshit and people, the fucking radio station and this people telling me that what I'm doing isn't the thing. You know, we're, we're like talking to some other fucking, we're talking to another bunch of radio people and they're, they're saying that they think the segment's too long. Yeah. And I'm like, it's been on the radio in LA for six years at 25 minutes through three different companies, through four different consultants. Do you not think that those fucking people would have done anything they could to have shortened this fucking segment? hundred percent. They would have been like,
0: get it down to 10 minutes. Yeah, for sure.
1: The fact that it's 25 isn't a gift. It's because it works. Why are we talking
0: about this? And the fact that it's two hours live and everyone listens for two hours. Three
1: and a half hours of a a seven minute song with fucking Wendy with no intermission.
0: Yep. hundred percent.
1: Like we went on stage for the Devo one and Devo had said to his wife prior, she was like, I don't know what we're going to talk about for two hours. Just wait and see. (laughs) (laughs) Try three. Speaking of which, how long is this show?
0: Oh, it doesn't even matter, bro. It doesn't even matter. Life is so good. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm so lucky. One thing I, w- I want to say, and this is just uh, my own practices, because so I can be an impatient person. Uh, I feel that I am the most patient version of myself right now. I feel like I am the best version of myself. 100%. Right I think I have worked on myself a lot. Can I tell this and, thing?
1: I have to tell this thing because this is my fucking favorite thing. I told this on my show. Sure. So the 15-year-old version of Elmo is very different to this version of Elmo. <laughs> what
0: are you say? Right?
1: Hair and all that. And uh, <laughs> when we got back into each other's lives, because there was a chapter there where we did, I'm so pissed that I missed the fucking cinema orchestra thing, Sin- fucking Cine space, thing. fucking era, the house in the fucking hills.
0: Pfft, so pissed. It was sick.
1: Don't talk about it. Um, but I'm just grateful for the version that <laughs> I get. And I was like, I was talking to you one day and I said, what the fuck is with this like always positive bullshit? Cause it drives me crazy. Cause I can't do it. so it's, I, you know, you hate that, which you cannot be. And you looked at me and you were like, yeah, I just, uh, one day I was like, um, yeah, I'm going to stop thinking negative thoughts. And anytime I think a negative thought, I just think, I don't wanna think that. And then I don't. And my, it's like, I tell people it was like those fucking paintings that are a bunch of dots. And then it suddenly becomes a sailing ship, <laughs> you know? And I was just like, you can, you can, do that? I can't, I don't have the, I don't know what it is. I don't, maybe it's, I don't know if it's willpower or whatever, but the fact that that is something that you actively did and your life as it sits right now is a, is a fucking evidence of that and the people that are around you and the attitude and the vibe and all of the, that, that fucking, that Sunday service fucking jam card that you had a few months back after all of the COVID experience, was one of the most beautiful musical experiences I'd ever had. Because A, it's that gospel business, which is just ridiculous. And it's their version of the gospel business. But it was the gathering of all of us after two, almost two and a half years of not yeah. going to jam cards once a month yeah. and not hanging out and seeing everybody. And D Mills and fucking all those dudes and big smiles. And just what and the, the, big the, smiles. the big smiles. And that's all, that's your Creation. That's the thing that you have brought into being. And it's because it's top down. It's why the fucking radio stations are miserable because everybody at the radio station and the people at the top are miserable. The radio, the record labels, most of them are miserable because the people at the top are miserable. This, the thing that you have built is full of joy and love. Because you are full of joy and love. You are literally Elmo. It's really fucking, you should just, can you, you should just have a big red Elmo suit that you just fucking show up in because it really is, you bring such joy. And I think I'm either the count or I'm Cookie Monster. And I'm trying to work out which one I am. I think
0: you were the count and you're transitioning into Cookie Monster. can I be Oscar
1: the Grouch and become Cookie Monster?
0: All right, I'm in. Um, thank you. vegan cookies
1: with no sugar and fat added so that I don't have to put any weight on. I appreciate that.
0: What I would say is I, uh, see, here's a new theory of mine. I was talking to a friend about, uh, your resting caloric burn, right? So essentially we burn calories every day by just even just sitting around and doing absolutely nothing, but we burn different amounts of calories depending on genetics and other things, but especially depending on how much muscle you have and how physically active you are in general. So the more physically active person by default, even if they're sitting around and they take three days, five days off at sitting at resting burns more calories. So your body just gets used to it. Your body just adapts. And it's just like, I'm okay. Oh, you're an energy, whether or not you're walking or you're drumming or whatever it is that's physically active, that has a huge impact on then what will just happen for you for weeks. Even if you take three weeks off from working out or whatever, it'll just, you'll keep, you'll burn higher than the person that does absolutely no uh, physical activity. Right. So I feel like you can train your body. It's like muscle memory. Same thing with drumming. The more you drum, the better your technique gets, the better you get. Even if you don't play for two years and you pick up your sticks, you're going to be much better than someone that never played. Right. Or same with, I've been just, I've started boxing recently and I'm like starting to see like, oh, I'm starting to under, my technique is starting together to where I can actually feel like, oh, I did this right, <laughs> right. instead of just, ah oh, right. Or whatever it is. But I feel like to me, you can do the same with happiness. Like, I feel like you can train yourself to be happy, to think positive thoughts and to just put yourself into this like happiness wormhole where you're going in it to where then your body... Is just like default there. Like I feel like at this point I'm just on default smile. Like my resting face is like, yeah, no, it's totally true. I'm at Trader Joe's like in line, like, just like <laughs> right? Like you may think I'm crazy, but um, I don't know, and I feel like I've I've been like that for so long now. But even when I was like 15, I was still happy. I was always like a happy kid. I was yeah. a happy kid even when I and I was a fat kid back then. And even back when I was 10, like I didn't have girls. I was not popular or anything. I was like. I ate a lot. I had really bad teeth, pre-braces, and I was super overweight. So I was like, never, I wasn't the, the kid. That, and I didn't come from like a family with money or anything like that. I mean, I came from a family that loved me, though, thank, thank, thankfully. Um, well, you also had to come from a family that has a lot of love in it. I come from a family that has a lot of love in it and a family that supported, they didn't support me financially, financially but they supported me in my passion, which was they're like, You want to be a drummer. You want to leave high school at 16 and go play shows. You should do like, you can do that. Let's talk with your counselor and make it happen. Put you in in homeschool. Right. Where they, that was especially my dad, even though my mom was very supportive too, but my mom did not want that in particular to happen. (laughs) Right. right. She was like, my dad was like, he's passionate. Right. (laughs) Also, I'm like, I'm falling asleep in class. And like, I can't pay attention. I just want to play drums. But, um, and the music is in your dad. Music's in my dad and music is in my mom. My my mom's side of the family, uh all the men play. Like dude, this is going to blow your mind right now. Uh check this out. Here's my great grandpa. Oh, I saw this photo. Isn't that insane? It's incredible. Here is like look at this, dude.
1: That's amazing.
0: It's my family in like 1930.
1: <laughs> it looks like it was shot yesterday, and then a black and white filter it was put on. It's look amazing. At
0: this, look at this one. Yeah. Anyways, my point is, That's my mom's side. So, music in my blood on my mom's side. My mom doesn't play, but all of the all of the men did on that side of the family. And same thing on my on my dad's side. My dad plays. Uh, my his brother, my uncle, like my brother plays, obviously. So yeah, I come I come from a, a musical family, but I, I just feel like. I don't know, man. At this point, I'm just like default happy. Right. And, 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 and and dude, and fucking gnarly things happen. Like I'm not, I don't just have this absolutely perfect life. Right. No. Like obviously we all, you never know what anyone's going through family wise or friends or business or whatever. I mean, there's been crazy times with jam card where no one would have had any idea and I figured it out. Right. And there's been crazy times with my family where no one had any idea and I figured it out or with my girlfriend or with wh- whatever it is, all the things that you have. And it's just like, I try to like, I try to just like really embrace that. Okay. There may be a storm right now, but a, a storm comes and it goes. Right. And so like t- be calm in it, get through it, make the best decisions that you can don't tell everyone that you're in a fucking storm right now. Right. And all this shit, like you won't ever see me really doing that. I mean, like Christian and base what's up. My guys that are right here talk to me all day, every day. Right. <laughs> so they would know if I'm like, God damn it. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, and I try to like, obviously I'm not saying hold in your problems. I, I talk to people. I'm honest. Right. About, especially to my trusted people to get out if there's a hard situation. And I have, thank God, Mentors and advisors in my life when I have a difficult problem, I bring it to them, whether or not it's personal or it's business, right? Bring it to them, talk it out, make the best decision, move on. Know that it's not the end of the world because it's not. And know that I'm fucking lucky no matter what happens. I'm still so, so lucky for so many reasons. You know, you can just open up Instagram or the news or what I mean, God forbid and see all the sh- horrible shit that happens to people all the time, all over the world. And obviously has for history and is still happening today. So I just feel, I'm like, yo, know, I'm lucky to be born in uh, Los Angeles. I'm lucky to have both. My parents are alive and, uh, and we have a loving relationship and I have a little brother that's alive and we have a loving relationship. My grandma is, it's a miracle that she's alive, especially right now. She fell down recently. was in the hospital and we are like, we went and saw her and it was like, I was like, that's it. Uh, like my dad and I was super heavy and then she's fine. I'm going to take her to lunch on Sunday. And no, it doesn't <laughs> make sense. That doesn't make sense. Very grateful for that. Grateful to be able to make, uh, look, you make a living doing what you're doing, right? And you're an entrepreneur and no one else does what you do, which makes it really hard to make a living. If you do something that no one else does, it's really yeah. hard to make a living in that. And you do, you do, you pay your rent. You, you got your car, you got your everything. Of course you have goals to make it bigger, but you make your living doing what you what you're doing creatively. That's insane, bro. You don't have the office job. You don't have to fucking go to the radio station anymore. You know my dog. Um, you don't have to. And I don't have to. I don't have to have a regular job. You know, jam card. And I feel like I can't speak on behalf of my team, but I feel like everyone on the team too. It's like we have everyone's creative. Every we all have, we have a creative job where we like do what we love and we get to do cool shit every day. And yeah, we work hard. You got to work hard at what you do. You can't just be like, I do something unique and then not work hard on it. Right. Nothing's going to happen. No matter what you do, you got to work hard on it. But so anyways, I'm just saying I feel lucky even when and and even when shit storms hit me. Like you won't know it. My closest friends will and the people that I trust to help me work through it will, but besides that, you won't see that on me. And uh and I'm just constantly reminded I I constantly remind myself that no matter what happens with all this, I'm fucking lucky. And it's just I think it's just that simple and and I also feel lucky to realize that I'm lucky. <laughs> so Yeah, I think this is my the, hippie bullshit. No, <laughs> it's true though, because that's
1: you know, that's the 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 thing, right? Like everyone always talks about the fucking gratitude practice. And then so many of my fucking hippie burner friends are only grateful when things are good.
0: You cannot be only grateful when things are good, and you cannot only be grateful on the gram. You have to be grateful to <laughs> right. yourself. Right. And it's not just about being an influencer of happiness. It all, this is, you know, I've been work, I've been working through a lot just to be open and honest on the show. I've been working through a lot with both of my parents right now. I think like getting older is a real thing. My dad's in his seventies. It is not
1: for the faint of heart, as the famous quote goes. Yes,
0: and as and as my dad says all the time, and I asked him yesterday, I was like, hey, just, we, This is a very <laughs> negative phrase. Could we stop? You've said it a thousand times, <laughs> but it is a good phrase, which is, getting older is a series of losses. Wow, right? and that's what my grandma told him. And that's what he's now telling me, even though I'm like, stop Right,
1: right.
0: <laughs> a lot more negativity from my grandma and my dad, but it's also generational. Sure. Generational. We weren't raised to be like, everything's life is good and no, happy. No, I'm and it's English, like they're in fucking the world the, war. We're the worst. My dad was in Vietnam. My, yeah. my, my grandma's husband was in you know, world war two and she lost both of her husband, you know, like, all the, so, um, they've had hard lives. Right. So, so, but in, in, in working it out, with my parents right now, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to, like, help push a uh, positive spirit and, like, because, like, yo, we're lucky. Like, let's do what we can. It's not always going to be exactly what you want, but, like, let's figure out solutions and, like, not, not just complain about things or be angry because that doesn't do anything. And it's only your life, and that's the main thing I've been telling my dad if he's, like, upset about this thing, this thing, or this thing. He's probably listening right now, so sorry, Dad, to be transparent about here, but... But I think there's a good lesson in there, which is, cool. If you want to, like, let's say you want to avoid solving this problem that's in your life, you're the only person that's going to suffer from it. You know, it's right. like it. So and and to and to the people, to the people that are only being grateful on the gram, <laughs> or to social media that are probably gramtitude, maybe gramtitude. Oh my god. Maybe they're crippled inside. You see it a lot on the gram. These people that are like, oh, be your best self and blah, blah, whatever. And then you, but they're your homie and you see them and you're like, dude, I I know for sure your shit's fucked right now. You are going off on me about it. (laughs) All that matters is how you feel to yourself. It's all that matters. Like in everything that we do, hopefully you can influence love and support for the people that you care about and for other people. And that is a, if you can do that, that's a blessing. But no matter what, first and foremost is You. So like, what can you do to make yourself happier and feel whole and without even, you don't have to tell anybody about it. So like for you right now, I would ask you that question for as you're going through this growth stage um, and there's troubled things and, but no matter what, when it comes down to it, the black and white is you are on your path, you are on your journey, you are doing the thing you love and you do make a living doing it, right? Yeah. As of right now. So what else could you do to make you happier as you're still on this journey that will also encourage your patience. Mm. So you don't have to answer it, but just something to think about. Yeah. I'm not hundred percent. Because you got to be patient no matter what you don't have. You don't have the decision (laughs) or the privilege to just be like, no, this is going to happen tomorrow. We don't have that privilege. Right. So what can you do to enjoy this daily in the daily as you're being patient because you are, on the right path right now, you definitely are.
1: Yes, yeah. That's I'm. I'm you know, that's I think part of when you get impatient
0: mm-hmm.
1: is you're like, you know, that you're on the right path. Impatience can happen in both paths, actually. I guess when you're in the wrong path, you're like, <laughs> when you're on the right path, you're like, <laughs> instead of just letting everything play out the way it should, and then at the end of the day, you look back on it and you're like, oh, of course that happened. In order for that to happen, in order for that to happen, you know, like. One of the, the my great joys currently is I get to do free shows.
0: Yeah, amazing.
1: You know, like the Sunset Roses or well, the Sun Roses. Like, hey, you can shut the, you know, set the price, of the door for whatever you want. And I was like, oh, they're free then.
0: You're not, and also, just to put in perspective, you're not just doing a free show that gets packed from people that love what you do. You're doing a free show, and your guest next to you is Mark Mothersbaugh right. of Devo. And that's what you're doing right now. Yeah. And the reason why you can do it, for free right now is because you have other ancillary income streams that are allowing you to be, because if you were broke right now, you'd have to charge 10, 20 bucks. You'd have to do that. And by the way, it's okay to charge 10, 20 bucks or whatever, but the fact that you can do it right now is actually a luxury. And that's amazing. And you should, you should do it as free as many times as you can. Because that adds to
1: me, part of the joy for me. Like I sat at the end of Saturday night and I was like, this is a free show. There it is. We just did two nights of fucking Devo songs. The second one is with Mark Mothersbaugh and Bob Margulies. So sick. Yeah. Telling these fucking stories that nobody's heard in this way. Like Bob Margulies and fucking Mark haven't even told the stories in this way before.
0: You're unlocking that. You're allowing them to do that. You're built, By the way, you've he, built a space he, for he them, them to do that. told the story after they did
1: the Saturday Night Live, uh, the, the appearance of Satisfaction. Well, two things on that. So first off, back in that day, you couldn't just do a cover you had to get the permission from the artist in person. So he and Jerrica Sally (laughs) at 26 years old, got in their car in Ohio and drove to New York city. And at the end of it in a fucking office was Mick Jagger and their, and their manager. And they had to sit there and put the needle on the fucking 45 of satisfaction
0: already recorded,
1: already recorded to have Mick Jagger do the emperor's thumbs up or thumbs down on it. Wow. And he was like, the moment I knew we had it was when Mick Jagger like jumped up and started fucking dancing and was like this. And then, so this is the other thing. So forever I've been like talking about how, you know, like satisfaction is, is to me is like the ultimate Devo expression because it's a complete deconstruction of the original song. Yeah. And down to the point where it doesn't even have the, 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 It doesn't have the riff in it, which is one of the most recognizable rock and roll riffs of all time. And that's not there. So they like deconstructed it so far that they removed this thing. And I'm sitting there with Mark before we did the thing. I I went to Mutado and just hung out with him. And I was like, whose idea was it to to not play the riff? He goes, yeah, and I just forgot. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, God <laughs> damn it! I attached all this massive importance to this thing, and he's like, he was like, "That's why we played it live afterwards." He's like, "I always added it." So he said that at the end of the SNL thing, and I, you know, like, the, the, but this is the the other reason that I, you know, like, and and if anyone is listening who who is involved in the moving this thing to the next level stage, the reason that we need to move this to the next level is because these people are passing away. Yeah. And we need their stories captured now. I will never get to sit with Tom Petty and do a Tom Petty session. Or Eddie Van Halen. Or a Prince one. I'll never get, we'll never get that, that story told from them. There'll be people who are close to them and it's going to be beautiful, but we're never going to get their story told in this way. Yeah. So we need to get this done fast. Like as soon as this contract is signed for this podcast, I'm going to pay from, because as soon as I know that we're going to have episodes coming up, I'm not going to care about having the song rights. I'll get the song rights later. I'm going straight to Detroit and I'm doing Hollywood Nights with Bob Seger. Sick. I'm going straight to fucking Miami and I'm doing the fucking Bee Gees with fucking Barry Gibb and Sick. I'm going straight to Switzerland and I'm doing Phil Collins with Phil. Sick. Because we can't lose these people. These yeah. people need to tell these fucking stories. Yeah. And you're sitting <laughs> sitting there with Mark Mothersbaugh and hearing these insane stories like they drew, like Jerry Casale came back from fucking New York after going to CBGB's and their version of Satisfaction he was like we were playing it probably 30 BPM fucking slower and Jerry Casale came back and was like I just saw the Ramones we need to speed everything the fuck up and then we need to move to New York City wow. they got in the fucking van and they slept in the van in New York City and he's like and you have to remember we're in New York City at CBGB's and we're not there for the nascent CBGB scene yeah Blondie is huge like in the CBGB scene the talking heads are not art students anymore they're huge the Ramones are almost like the old guard at that point wow television is huge like all of these people we're playing with He, they, they, he's like dude by the second show at Max's Kansas City Lennon and all of the others D- Bowie Eno he's like we left our fucking first gig at Max's Kansas City, and went straight to Brian Eno's fucking apartment, where Brian Eno and Robert Fripp sat there and told us they were going to produce us, and got into a competition about it. My God, they're twenty six years old, dude. They've just left Ohio, and they're there doing that shit. He's like, I was in fucking, I was in the, uh, I was in the 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 van. He's in an Econ, Econoline van. They just played Max's Kansas City. He's sitting there. Uh, it was like Harry Nielsen or, or somebody else, but John Lennon walks out. Puts his head in through the van and goes, yeah, 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 Because he knew that he had been mocking the fucking, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd been deconstructing that from the beginning. Wow. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I think the thing that I wish that I could do more than anything is I wish I had a device where I could plug a cable into their fucking heads. And those screens would show what they're seeing when the fucking songs are playing back. Because the fucking stories that these people have will never, ever exist ever, ever, ever again. I know there's great music being made out there. I know that music doesn't suck. I'm not one of these get off my fucking lawn people. But these stories are insane. When they, f- they finished Saturday Night Live because they did the Satisfaction performance, which I think is top three greatest live performances in the history of music on television and uh before they went on fucking what's his name lorne michaels like poked his head and was like there's gonna be 20 million people watching tonight don't fuck this up because that was when saturday night live had 20 million people (laughs) wow do you know at the peak of fucking um of uh mork and mindy there were 60 million people watching that tv show
0: that's insane
1: Wow. They jerk themselves off if Game of Thrones gets like six million people. Yeah, like, that was a great fucking <laughs> year. You know, it's fucking it's a fucking bukkake. It's bukkake. And meanwhile, sixty million people are watching one half an hour comedy. There show. was three channels. Was three channels. <laughs> and it was also yeah. unbelievable television. And it was great. Yeah. It wasn't it was charity. A, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they played on SNL in the peak of the fucking SNL, that first cast, which yeah. is the greatest cast of that show. Yeah. There were great casts afterwards. It's the planet smashers, dude. Yeah. And he said, we, they finished it. And, uh, and 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 one of the members of Devo, I, I won't say their name because I don't want to out them publicly, um, had laid out this enormous line of cocaine in the dressing room. <laughs> and he's like, and John Belushi comes in and he goes, yeah, can I have some? And they were like, of course. Belushi did the entire fucking thing, just like <clears throat> vacuumed Whoa. it from start to finish. And I was like, you gotta be, like you saw, that? like that's, those are the people that you're having this experience with as 26-year-old as men. And don't forget, the Insane. band starts because Jerry Cassell is in the crowd and watches his friends get murdered by the National Guard at Kent State.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Was a college student marching against the war, and it was a three-day thing. And Mark had shown up at the first one and the plan was to do all three showed up at the first one and they ended up somewhere in Akron and they watched some, he watched somebody throw a brick through a store window. And he was like, that's not the way that we're going to get this done. Like that's a, that's personal prop. That's like that. That's broken. Like this isn't the thing. So he didn't come after that. His brother went on the second and third one. And on the third one, Jerry was marching and the national guard came over and machine gunned his friends and killed his friends in front of him. My
0: God, it's horrible.
1: And the and Mark and the band sat there and looked at this and were like, "We're in a country where if the government doesn't agree with your disagreement, they'll just kill you. So the only thing we can do is to start a band. Oh my god! And that's what devolution is because they no yes way. because they watch society breaking down in front of them.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a Devo kick now. I need to have a separate combo with you and learn more about it because Devo. Was was a little before me, and I always so I know their hit songs. I saw them play, and I thought it was cool they had Josh Freeze drumming and like that kind of thing. But I never got in 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 and that I I really want to. It's
1: bonkers, man!
0: Bonkers,
1: bonkers! Like that's a that's the forming of the band. Yeah, that the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Insane says doesn't. It's a, a, so Mark on fucking Saturday. Mark's like It's like I was like you, you. fuck everyone. You need to be in rock and roll fame. He was like, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, of course, like I, I that, I'd love for that to happen. He's like, but if it doesn't, he's like, people don't understand that there's a law in Ohio that you can literally bury people anywhere, any public <laughs> ground, you can bury them. He's like, so his brother is, has passed away. And Alan Myers, the drummer, has passed away. It's like, so what I want to do is I want to exhume Alan Myers, and I wanna exhume my brother, and then I'm gonna buy one of the fucking lots. I'm gonna like I'm gonna get fucking property and I'm gonna bury my brother and Alan in a parking space in the parking lot of the of Rock and the Roll rock and Hall and of Hall fame. fame. That is and unbelievable. It's like
0: that is so fucking Mark Mothers. So, <laughs> so Mark Mother's <laughs> Hey, now again. that you're friends with him, we need to go to the studio on Sunset. Oh dude, I was just there. Was it amazing? It's incredible. Holy shit, dude, that first building, off, that iconic building. Do you know he bought that when it was a dentist's office in like
1: 1991
0: for nothing? I I I heard a little bit about the deal and you know how much that is worth millions and it's this architectural fucking and the
1: the thing is like the so the outside ring is it's like it's like capital so the outside ring are all offices and then there's like a you know spaceship walkway and then the studio is the middle circle oh i
0: gotta see it with you please. and it's
1: immaculate dude
0: could we do a jam jam in there i'm sure you think so yeah i'm sure with him
1: yeah i'm sure if we asked anita like after that show they they were both so complimentary. I mean, you know, like Mark like Mothersburg. You do a
0: super small one. Oh, it do be incredible.
1: So they have the studio, but then downstairs they have a whole performance space. What? Yeah, yeah. And we just had a, uh, they just did a thing there for actually to raise interest, for, or to raise support, sorry, to try to get them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I was, so uh, Reggie Watts was DJing. Amazing. And uh, Josh Fries had left his drum set. So I was sitting there and my buddy Kai was like, you should just go play. Because Reggie's DJ and I, don't know, I know Reggie, so I sat down and started playing drums with Reggie. And Reggie was like, "Yeah." And then jo- I'm playing, and Josh freeze comes over and he's like, "Yeah, man." The wife says I gotta leave, so he's like, "Don't stop playing. I'll just uh, I'll just grab bits." And he devolutioned the drum set as I was fucking playing, like the floor tom went, and the hi hat went, and the fucking snare went, and then it was just the bass drum and then what the bass cool drum guys. went, and I was
0: like, "This is." What a the a cool perfect guy.
1: fucking thing. So yeah, I'm sure that if you wanted to get one done that part, that, that take downstairs a take
0: a note, Devo jam jam at the studio. That okay.
1: da, that downstairs area is, is a big wide open space for, they have keyboard storage there and they, but it's, and it, it, he has every single tape that they ever recorded except for whip it.
0: Except for whip it. Whip it
1: are the only two that his manager gave to the record label. And he was wow. like, motherfucker. So on Saturday, <clears throat> He uh, he and Bob Marguloff were talking, and Bob uh, went today to do the Atmos mixes of Whippet.
0: Sick. Called so me sick. yesterday
1: and was like, "Mark has got it, got permission for that because he when they recorded that stuff, Bob Marguloff, of course, who did four of the greatest, you know, with his partner, Malcolm Cecil, did four of the best Stevie Wonder records. By the way, let's not forget. Yeah, as twenty two year old fucking stoners, it's the three of them. I know That's, in the studio together. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, the way that they had the studio is the control room. The only stuff that Stevie did in the in the, the live room was the drums. Everything else was done in the studio. And then he had the studio wired in quadraphonic sound.
0: So sick.
1: So it was all swirling around Stevie's head. So they did the same thing with Devo. So the original mixes were actually done to be heard in that way. And we've been dealing with them in stereo only because that was the only thing. So he's now gone. After Saturday, Mark was inspired to get the fucking Atmos remixes. But what I'm doing needs to be fucking... I, I'm, I, am, I am fucking uh, damages. I'm causing damages. I'm causing damages. Sueable fucking damages to these people. I just got the fucking Atmos mixes created because of Saturday Night. Unbelievable. That's where amazing, Bob and Mark dude. were sitting on That's stage amazing. and Mark was like, yes, we need to get that fucking done. Let's get the two inch tapes that he doesn't even own anymore. He has all the others. That's he bought the fucking dude. reels of satisfaction with him. That's he doesn't incredible. have them. Got them from
0: Warners. That's amazing. You should feel good about that. Don't worry about all the bullshit. <laughs> okay. Don't worry about the I'm bullshit. I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> Don't have a heart attack, bro. <laughs> it's my last need, fucking thing. You need to fucking hold on. Don't worry about the bullshit. going to so anyway, hate you're an innovator. He's going to hate. You're an innovator and old guard. The old guard always slows tries to slow down the innovators and you're going to break through real soon and
1: it's going to be okay. These crystal suppositories yeah, I'm wearing just one say, right this now is about it's to amazing. probe you.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we inserted before uh, the chat. But anyway, so okay. yes, that's you know part of the thing is that these fucking stories are incredible. Yeah. The yeah. stories are and are real-
0: and you're the best person to uh, lay down a foundation for them to storytell with, accompanied by their stems that they haven't even heard in so long. So and they long. get emotional and they get so excited to talk about, it. and it's gonna happen, bro. It's gonna. Thanks, happen. bro. Just I keep know. just I keep like to, doing your thing. Like to think,
1: but yeah. So the Devo. yeah, yeah. A jam jam at the Devo building. Let's fucking do it. Yes, I know Mark so, would totally love that.
0: We're gonna talk to him. All right, all right, dude. We, I could talk to you for nine hours, but I'm not gonna. Two hours of amazingness. innovators innovate. Hey, let's keep doing our thing. Wonder where we're going to be at in 10 years. One more final note to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I would stop saying as a, just a suggestion. That I'm fat? Keep saying that because you'll <laughs> eventually get skinny. <laughs> I would stop saying Son of that you're going to not do this in 10 years because you're not going to be the yeah. guy fucking doing this when you're 63. I I get the thought. I get what you're saying. I hear you. But... I would not even say that because it doesn't even matter because you're just saying blah, blah, blah because who knows because when you're 63 you'll make that decision.
1: Right. And by then they might have a machine that we step into that makes us 43.
0: For sure. <laughs> yeah. And by then you're going to have your own AI Christian James hand. It's true. It's and you're going to be able to just be, be a like a head in a bubble yeah. in a fucking thing that'll be thinking sessions yeah. you're into You're going to be like stem that and AI's going to be like stems. And you're going to be like great and it's going to be like license. Yeah. <laughs> you're like Wow. That was immediate. All right, dude. Love you. Christian James hand the session and man versus radio on AMP. You're killing. You're the star of amp bro. At 11 a.m. Pacific standard time. Are you, are you loving amp? It uh, was dude. It was so
1: hard to begin with, but now it's like the fucking coolest shit. I did. Uh, I did one the other day where I told the the story of the Sinead O'Connor thing, the on the road thing with Peter Gabriel and me and her and uh, got to play the songs from the artists that were on the road with us at that time. And somebody from jam card sent me a note and was like, it was like exquisite fucking radio.
0: Nice. That's was awesome. The best
1: version of that story. I could tell.
0: That's fucking awesome. It was great. All right. Well, man versus radio on amp. Yep. The session on you'll see where and live if yep. you're in LA and you're lucky enough to see it in person right now. Podcast Dude. through Wondery. Podcast through Wondery.
1: Let's get it. And then the TV show through Amazon. Let's fucking go. We, we can talk about this. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what needs to happen. We need to crush Song Exploder. Yeah,
0: let's fucking. Oh, dude, there's no competition. I know. That's why we have to. Everyone was Song like, Exploder is so boring. Not like Netflix. I was can't like, even We watch. can't do
1: it. We already have a version of something that uses IP similarly. And I was like, oh,
0: it's okay. Fuck him. Fuck him. Amazon Prime. Amazon family, bro. Amp Amazon, Amazon Prime, Wondery. Let's fucking go, dog. And then I want
1: an Amp jumpsuit. I want an Amazon jumpsuit. The great sure. thing with the logo on the back. And then uh, a truck. I want an Amazon truck. Just like a little. <laughs> I want to show up at all the gigs. A Prime truck? Yeah, I want a Prime truck. That's I want to show up, to up at the gigs and load the gig out of a fucking Prime truck. Too much to ask? I don't think so. I think we can get it for you. I'm going to make a couple calls. <laughs> Please. Love you, bro. Love you, too.